Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. I got retained um, as a subject matter expert on a ballistics case a few years back um, by the um, one of the members of the Nashville Defense Bar here that was trying to build his theory of the case on on a uh, homicide that he had that he was trying to defend and um the person that was killed was killed with 130 grain ball uh out of a two inch 38 and um and the round uh i'd like to give you a synopsis of the event it was a you know closing time uh you don't have to go home but you can't stay here parking lot kind of fight so these guys get into it um and you know there's the the crazy monkey dance back and forth with um you know f you no f you and then dude pulls out a gun uh the the uh bad guy victim says whoa no i mean we're cool like you know just joking and the guy that had the gun said you know i don't know if he said anything but anyway he fires a shot the round goes through the uh man's hand and then goes squarely through his sternum um and then right into his heart uh and just i I think i imagine he was probably dead before he hit the ground so i have a post-mortem um actually i'm not sure if it was post i mean if i don't think it was taken by the medical examiner i think it was taken at the emergency room but i have a, a chest film of it and you can see the slug like perfectly intact um this is an old story for chuck chuck's heard this spiel i think actually as it happened um but um i have pictures of the slug i have a picture of the entry and the exit wound through the hand that the entrance wound through the chest and then i have a anterior um chest film and a lateral chest film and you can see where uh you know the, the slug just went right dead center through this guy's heart and um and then filled up one of his entire lungs with blood volume so it was at least you know he at least had uh probably a good uh you know i'd estimate you know 10 to 15 more strokes coming out of his heart to fill up his lung before it it probably went into uh some type of fibrillation and then stopped so it's cool uh, that's, yeah. that's interesting and that's you know uh, it kind of uh released that uh, with wad cutters too um you know wad cutters doing their cutting tissue but i was telling matt earlier that one of my cases that i worked was a crazy lady shot her boyfriend with a four inch security six loaded with wad cutters in the chest mm-hmm. and the guy fell down and died so fast he didn't bleed yeah um, yeah certainly he had a lot of blood but he did not there's no blood on the outside i mean it instantly he just died. I mean, right yeah. there. With a yeah. very I remember. Chest. Yeah. I think you mentioned that when you were talking about the, the, um, a podcast you did maybe with Brian, Brian um, yeah. a couple weeks ago, right. or maybe that was a month ago. I'm not sure yeah. in the recent past. Um, 
where you mentioned that too. And yeah, I, I I've seen a few like that. And that's kind of how this one was too. There was no external bleeding. It was all internal and, and quite, I mean, you know, right. uh, an, an entire plural space. So, right. um, you know, probably close to a leader, I imagine. Um, but you know, it kind of rains on everybody's parade when people are like, um, you know, you got to have performance ammunition in the 38 so far behind and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, Chuck and I have laughed about this over, uh, many, uh, uh, meals over the last decade about, um, Boy, none of these people that we've seen that got shot dead with these 38s sure got that memo about the performance ammunition. And, um, you know, I, I, so every snubby Sunday and every, or what is it, wheel gun Wednesday, you know, I post things on my Instagram page because that's really the only thing that people read. You know, if I put something about ballistics or if I put something about medicine, you know, it's like it gets like three likes. And I know it's going to be Chuck, Matt, and Lee Weems. Um, and occasionally, you know, Kurt Clark or, or, uh, Paul Sharp or Cecil and, um, you know, <laughs> the people that are re regular guests on the podcast, um, and, you know, Matt and those guys and stuff too. So, it, you know, I put something on there the other day about, um, a J frame that I bought as my ankle gun when I first started working in the armor truck industry, like in the mid nineties. And, um, you know, I talked about how, like, you know, when I bought that gun, like I carried it literally, you know, every day for uh, about 15 years. And, um, and, you know, it's, it's, it has a place of honor in my safe now, but mostly I, you know, carry a 365, um, just because it, it, uh, just works better with what I'm doing these days. And, um, and, you know, so this, a couple of people popped on there and were like, well, I'm sure glad that you're carrying something, you know, modern now that, that, you know, actually has like some capability. And I thought like, golly, man, you like, so missed the boat. Like I I'm, I'm the capable link in this machine here. The, 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 the you know, the pistol and the revolver has got nothing to do with it. Like literally nothing to do with it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's funny because I think that, you know, to people like us that, that deal with these kinds of things on a regular basis, um, and see in addition to the, the successes of these, uh, obsolete, you know, rimmed revolver cartridges, we also see, uh, the failures with everything. And, you know, I, I not to like toot my own horn, but I see, a lot of failures with all kinds of projectiles, not due to uh, any fault of the combatants, but because, um, you know, yeah, I still do reserve policing. So I still see people, you know, that are victims of violence or, but I, you know, most of the people I see are victims of violence. I'm, you know, seeing them in a medical context. So, um, and I'm seeing a very specific group of people because uh, my department deals with, penetrating wounds of the face extending from the floor of the orbits to the Adam's apple. And that's it. If you're shot outside that area, you're going, you're going to be seen by a different surgical team. That's not got me on it. So, um, but even with those limitations, um, I still see um, cases like this every month, you know, 
um, there was a, there was one. So I had breakfast with Chuck a few, Oh no, I don't know. It was about six weeks ago, maybe um, when he was out here and I told him about um, a uh, long-term guest of the state of Tennessee that I took care of um, that had a gunshot wound to the face um, that was very destructive. And by any of these um, amateur ballisticians on Instagram would tell you that it was abject failure. But from our perspective, it was a great success because this guy um, was shot in the face in the course of him conducting a robbery. And um, after it blew out uh, a piece of his cheek, um, about uh, in total, probably about 30% of his mandible, uh, about four teeth, and then exited his cheek on the other side, he immediately forgot uh, that he'd left the stove on and left the scene and was uh, apprehended by law enforcement due to the, the uh, prominent trail of blood that he was leaving wherever he went. And um, so, you know, we saw that guy for surgical correction of a, of a continuity def defect of the mandible. And, um, and he still had, uh, if I had to guess, I showed Chuck the pictures, but I'd say that he still had uh, about a hundred and probably a hundred grains of whatever that projectile was still in him in the various uh, fascial spaces of tissue that um, we elected to leave in place just because it was too intertwined with vasculature or nerves that it would have been um, probably not worth the squeeze to spend the time and, and effort and blood to get it all out. So we took out what we could and um, stabilized as best as we could and, and left it in place. But so, you know, to us, the, the learned people amongst the uh, ballisticians would say that's a, that's a, uh, a success that that projectile did its job. It, it ceased that guy's activity and made him go do something else that was not involving robbing or attacking someone. Yeah. And I have a lot of those cases. Um, you know, I had one that, that, that kind of like, I, I won't say like made me famous, but it got me like notoriety um, because people were like, um, you know, this guy got shot in the face and he went to a dentist's office, you know, like, well, I mean, you know, go have a dentist's office in the hood and you'll see he had a all cavity. kinds of, 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 yeah, he had a cavity uh, that, that started right below his right eye and, and uh, came out the bottom of his skull and, and uh, out, right out his jaw. So yeah, um, luckily he came to the right place. So, um, but again, that was a 45 caliber hydroshock, you know, and if you look at the x-ray, you can, anybody that knows anything, you know, would look at that and go, oh man, you know, Matt Brzezinski that designed the hydroshock way back in whatever that was, 86 or something, you know, could hang this on his bathroom mirror and be proud of it because it did exactly as it was designed. It, it, uh, it, it deployed and depleted all of its energy in the span of this guy's face, which made him uh, immediately change tack on his life's decisions. So um, 
mission accomplished, you know? And, and, and so when I see these kinds of things, I know the context because I, you know, was the surgeon that worked on it. And then I see people kind of give their spin on it. And they're like, this guy got shot in the face and it did so little to him that he went to the dentist, you know, like, well, no, not really. Uh, you know, he went to the nearest doctor, which happened to be me. So, um, but it wasn't a failure because of that. It was a success because of that. And, and, and it's, it's really hard, I think for people like us to parse the, the kind of the wheat from the chaff and try and convince people who are very easily convinced by internet influencers and internet presence, um, with, you know, no disrespect to Jack Carr. I love that dude, but like, you know, everybody wants to be, uh, James Reese, you know, Navy SEAL right now, and thinks that if you have gear that's not, you know, Navy SEAL spec, then um, you are just absolutely lining yourself up for the big L. And I don't, uh, uh, like I said, you know, if you ask Jack Carr that, I I'm sure that he'd say, oh, no, man, like, you know, the mission dictates the equipment. Everybody knows that. Big Tech's ordinance has everything from complete firearms to OEM and aftermarket parts. If you're looking to put together your first AR-15, they have everything from those parts that you need to the tools that are going to be essential. If you're looking for suppressors, night vision, handheld lights, weapon lights, sights or optics, you name it, Big Tech's has it all. Not only that, they're offering all those brands that we like. Go visit them at BigTechsOrdinance.com. Filster makes awesome holsters. But not only that, they also happen to be one of those companies that are trendsetters. A lot of their designs are emulated by other companies. Not only does Filster make those holsters, but they also provide concealment systems like the Enigma, the Flex. They also have a lot of solutions when it comes to concealment solutions for medical. If you need to have a concealment first aid kit, they happen to sell them. Check them out at filsterholster.com. Join Primary Arms Government on September 10th for their third annual First Responder Range Day, hosted in Pasadena, Texas. This event connects law enforcement professionals with leading industry brands, all while enjoying local food and event activities. In addition to live fire demos, this year's event will feature axe throwing, archery challenges, t-shirt printing, product raffles, and more. If you're an active law enforcement professional or other first responder, RSVP today by visiting primaryarms.com government. Walther is the performance leader in the firearms industry, renowned throughout the world for its innovation since Carl Walther and his son Fritz created the first blowback semi-automatic pistol in 1908. Today, the innovative spirit builds off the invention of the concealed carry gun with the PPK series by creating the PPQ, PPS, and the Q5 match steel frame series. Military, police, and other government security groups in every country of the world have relied on the high-quality craftsmanship and rugged durability of Walther products. Walther continues its long tradition of technical expertise and innovation in the design and production of firearms. For more information, visit WalterArms.com. Hey everyone, Matt Lanfer here with Primary and Secondary. Welcome to Modcast. The number is 308. Yes, it is 308. We're going to be talking about bullet performance. Today is August 10th, 2022. This is going to be a cool discussion. We have a couple doctors on board. We have a couple guys that have been shooting forever uh, that are very well versed in this stuff that not only do they shoot stuff, but they also kind of have some status 
superstition type whatevers. They keep track of what they do is basically what I'm trying to say. Um, really cool discussion. Uh, we've already been talking for oh, 30, 40 minutes. And I, I kind of figured, well, we probably should start. Uh, my background's in law enforcement. Uh, this specific topic, I think, is absolutely fascinating uh, to actually talk about the actual performance of what exactly bullets do, because this is one of those topics that people don't necessarily understand. There's a lot of that Dunning-Kruger. So they know just enough about, okay, bullet goes out of the gun, people die, and then they fill in the blanks from there. Uh, we're going to be talking about wad cutters in depth, which I think is going to be very interesting. We're going to be talking about the uh, relationship with barrel length, velocity, and also potential wounding. Uh, we're going to be talking about what exactly is FBI calibrated ballistic gel. What does it represent? What is it actually doing? Because that's something also a lot of people don't understand. We're going to be also talking about at what point is a plus P going to be a little better for uh, terminal performance versus a standard flavor of HST or gold dot. And lastly, just traditional wounding from various types of bullets. Um, if you go to the gun store, if you look in your own, your own stash and look at the various types of bullets, there's a selection. We have hollow points. We have full metal jacket. We have wad cutter. We have semi wad cutter. We have you name it. And everything's going to act very differently. The gun itself, we could have the exact same round, round shot through multiple different guns and they can all provide different results. So all of this is information to help you make a better selection when it comes to selecting what works for, uh, for you defensively. So hopefully this episode is going to be educational and uh, I, I'm really looking forward to it. So yeah, my background's in law enforcement, been doing the cop thing since last century, uh, getting close to the time where it's time to retire. Um, still going to push on though, still going to keep on trying to pump out this really good info. Um, because I think this kind of stuff really helps a lot of people. Um, one of the things I like to say typically at the end of these, but I'm going to say it right now, if you like what these guys have to say, find them on social media, follow, like, share, um, make sure you're supporting those sources that you have found to be beneficial. There are all those, um, algorithms that work against us. And typically, if you really pay attention, the really good information, the good sources of info, they don't quite have the following. They don't get the press. They don't get the algorithm working in their favor. And this is where you come in. This is where you come in and like, you share if it's helpful. And you also you subscribe if you find the, the source of information is, is beneficial to you. So make sure you are supporting those sources to be beneficial. So without further ado, I think it is time for some backgrounds. And we're going to start with everyone's favorite, legendary... Lawman, Marshall, Chuck Hackard. And of course, now he, and he's frozen. That's the way it works. Oh, you. Am I working now? You are working. I okay. thought he was smoking a vape pen there for a second. It was uh, really no. still. <laughs> it was really no. good. I was, I was listening to Matt, but his picture froze on my oh. end. So, um, I don't know. You got a mountain in the way of your signal or something there. Yes. All, all the way around. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. Where were we? I'm supposed oh, backgrounds. to say something, right? Um, yeah, just backgrounds. Uh, I'm in my uh, 35th year of law enforcement currently. Um, my previous job that I did 28 years there, unfortunately, I had the opportunity to work a lot of shooting cases, see a lot of shooting cases, 
for a number of years, for a very long time. I was one of our investigators, officer-involved shooting investigators, uh, worked the street, worked SWAT. Um, I was a range master for a little bit, responsible for all our firearms training. Uh, early on, I got interested in bullet performance because that was such a thing. I was in the days of the, you know, I started in the revolver days with a 357 Magnum revolver. Cops typically carry a 38, 38 or a 357. That was before things like 40 Smith and Wesson were invented. And then uh, something that, that really put a mark on what we were doing back then was that was about the same time the FBI, famous FBI Miami shootout that uh, literally changed bullet testing and bullet, uh, the thoughts on bullet performance forever. Uh, previous to that, you would go, like, if you wanted a jacket, a hollow point, you'd go by Superbell or one of the copies from like federal Winchester, whoever, and you were looking for just absolute maximum expansion. And people were doing dumb stuff like shooting, modeling clay and that sort of thing as though it was simulating tissue. And then what we thought we knew about wound ballistics, <clears throat> there were very few people talking about it. Fackler was, was around back then. Um, but you know, there was <laughs> Al Gore had not invented the internet yet. So we weren't talking about this stuff. <clears throat> and uh, he was like one of them lone voices in the wilderness. And there was a lot of, Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. A lot of people looking at, you know, street results, things like that. I'm friends with Evan Marshall. So, you know, I'll talk about that. Um, and uh, all that, all of that interest culminated after the 1986 Miami shootout, which is what led to the standing up of the uh, FBI BRU, the Ballistic Research Unit, uh, codification of what valid gel testing was and why that was important. And then that led to all the major manufacturers having a complete redesign of what their bullets did uh, to match what we wanted to see on the street, because we know there were some issues with the uh, fame, very famously with the 115 grain nine millimeter Winchester silver tip that was being carried by the agents that day. But if you read the uh, forensic analysis that was done after that uh, event, you'll see there was a lot of issues with bullet performance uh, through car barriers, um, uh, some bullets that just come and not just the nine millimeters completely fragmented into pieces, um, failed to penetrate that sort of thing. So, um, I got into, I got into police work right at that time. So that kind of colored my experience. 
Later, I was uh, one of the original members of the International Wound Ballistics Association that Fackler and Dr. Gary Roberts stood up and I was, I was involved in that. And I've just been like testing and showing up at shooting, showing up at homicides. Uh, I was lucky that our local coroner, uh, Doc Mitchell, he's still in business in Kansas City, front, Frontier Forensics. He was a good dude and a gun dude, so we could talk about bullets. And he would let me attend autopsies like anytime I wanted to. Um so all of the police shootings we had, officer-involved shootings, fatal or non-fatal, I saw like bullets and reports and the crime scene and that sort of thing. And then uh, street homicides saw quite a few of those. Uh, unfortunately, at one point, my town was had a higher per capita crime rate than Los Angeles at one point. So um, just took a great interest in that. And it's it's been steady ever since. Good stuff. Andy? I'm Andy. I'm a, I'm a surgery resident. And um, I like trauma. That's that's as deep as I get right there. That's, have that's, have that's, you ever seen a gunshot wound? Um, twice. Once or twice. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've done a few in the Army and um, a few deployments and such. So, uh, I don't know. I, I don't I don't like to talk about myself as most people do. So um I'd be happy to answer any questions if anyone had any. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm just a guy who's interested in everything trauma and especially pre-hospital trauma. But truly, if anyone follows primary and secondary or watches the podcast or listens, you know who Andrew D. Fisher is. So some people do. I do, and that's all that matters. Yeah. yeah. And I'm trauma daddy on Instagram. So yeah, that's, that's probably where a lot of people may know me. And also a, uh, a, an award-winning video, Ted talk, TEDx talk on. Did, did I, tourniquets. did I win an award for that? Oh, I, I'm giving you one right now. Ah, oh, I appreciate that participation trophy. Thank you. You know, Andy, I don't normally talk that much, but then Matt tells me he like gets on me about it. I, I know, right? Like you, you feel bad and you eventually have to like make shit up to talk about it yourself. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna keep that in mind next time I have to do this. I'm gonna write I'm gonna write an entire my entire bio out and just read it out loud. You know, a nor monotone. You you may notice I actually mostly talked about other people. <laughs> yeah, that's Backward, a good technique. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And Dr. Sherman House. Not Gregory House, not to be confused. Oh, yeah, that's me. Um, <laughs> you know, people often think that my name is is Greg. I don't know why. Even before that show. Uh, but yeah, I, like I had a PE teacher in high school back in the 80s, you know, that was always calling me Greg. And I, you know, I wouldn't respond. And uh, and he'd get mad. And I didn't know what he was talking about. So. Um, yeah, so my name's Sherman House, and yes, um, uh, so I'm uh, for about the last three years, I've been a full time educator um, at a medical college here in um, Tennessee, and um, I'm the head of a residency program here in hospital dentistry. And um, for those uh, among the um, primary and secondary world know that uh doc gkr 
Gary K. Roberts and I um, have uh, parallel lives <laughs> in a few respects. So uh, yeah, we're both just dentists, um, but we're charged with the surgical care of patients um, involving dental alveolar infections, injuries, and neoplasms that fall between the floor of the orbit, the base of the eyes, and the Adam's apple. And um, that's where I spend the majority of my time. So the majority of my time, I extract teeth and drain infections out of people's heads. Just that. Um, that's probably a good 70% uh, of my week. And then it's punctuated by, um, well, you know, we're teaching hospitals. So we also take care of um, most of the Tennessee Department of Corrections patients and um, patients from a few other uh, it, correctional care patients from a few other facilities that are in Tennessee. And then um, prior to that, I was a pre-hospital care provider uh, as a firefighter and EMT um, for a fire department and then also for a ALS um, hospital-based response system in Washington State. And I actually had a pretty good career doing that and um, was thinking about going to be uh, either a general surgeon or an emergency room physician. And the two mentors that I had that were both general surgeons and emergency room physicians said, hey, kid, if I, if I was going to do this all over again, I would, uh, I would be a dentist. And, um, and I thought, like, really, have you been talking to my mom? You know, like my mom's been trying to convince me of the same thing. And um, they're like, no, seriously, man, like uh, quality of life would be, you know, so much better. And here I am. Yeah, I did that. Um, but now, you know, I passed those guys in the hallway. So um, on call with the same crazy hours and hospital rounds and everything else. So life calls first full circle, as they say. And um as far as involvement in the tactical industry, uh, I did work on an armored truck for a number of years um, during my youth to pay my way through undergrad. And I also um, have been and still am a reserve police officer here in Tennessee. So um, I, I get exposure around. Um, I first met Chuck, um, I guess around 10-ish years ago in person. Um, through Polypalooza, which was a memorial training conference for nerds that uh, William April and I started um, after Paul Gomez unexpectedly passed away. And um, the whole caveat to that was we got together, you know, pretty much everybody these days that does conferences and said, all right, guys, Paul Gomez was a weird dude. We all know that. Take whatever stuff that you would like to teach in your class, but there really isn't a market for, but you have a passion to teach about weird things and teach that weird part at the class. And so now it's kind of funny because if you think about it, um, and this just kind of dawned on me, Chuck, is the stuff that we were talking about back then that was weird is now pretty mainstream. Um, so, you know, like wad cutters for self-defense, nobody was talking about that back then, you know, like, uh, until they were talking about it the first time. Um, and, um, 22 long rifle for self-defense, things like that, you know, just, just weird stuff. And, uh, you know, vehicle born, uh, jujitsu, nobody was doing that 
before Polypalooza. You know, Craig did his first iteration of that at Polypalooza. So um, I had a small part in in helping make that happen. And um, and so, you know, I've stayed friends with with all those guys, of course. And and um, and, you know, now um, uh, I, I teach every year at TatCon. And uh, I maintain a uh, humble blog called Civilian Defender, um, and I have a Instagram presence that's not nearly as impressive as Andrew's, um, where I have uh, you know about thirty-seven followers, <clears throat> maybe oh no, I just went to thirty-eight. Um, that uh, that I um, you know post pictures and thoughts, um, and uh, and then I teach. Uh, open enrollment classes around the country as well. Um, that's basically a variation of the stop the bleed curriculum before stop bleed, stop the bleed curriculum was a thing that I've been teaching since 2006. And I think um, at that time I was working for a tactical response out in Camden, Tennessee. And I think that I was one of the first people to teach private sector medical classes because everybody was telling me that I was crazy for teaching needle decompression, um, to, um, to allied health personnel, you know, like people that were going to Katrina and going to, um, third world countries, you know, people that were, um, nurses and things like that, you know, and I thought like, you know, we're, we're teaching somebody, uh, a, a potentially life-saving skill. And, um, the, uh, Alternative to that is they'll they'll just die <laughs> of attention pneumothorax. So um, it's it's kind of been an interesting thing, and you know now you can you can buy needle decompression kits from uh, Amazon.com. So it's it's been an interesting time um, over the last uh, nearly 30 years that I've been involved doing this kind of stuff, and I'm excited to see where it goes. I'm I'm looking forward to the point though, like where I can be. Uh, decidedly curmudgeonly. I don't think I'm quite old enough yet to be a curmudgeon. I think you have to pass 50. So you want to grow up to be Daryl. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I don't still have some mobility in my shoulders and my knees. So, um, once that goes, then I think that's a wrap. And Mark. Well, gentlemen, thanks for having me on here. I know it's the first time I've had a visit, um, Mark Fricke is my name. I'm a retired uh, sergeant from uh, Arizona, and I have 20 total years in law enforcement, four years in the Air Force, four years of cop in Nebraska, and then my time in uh, Prescott. My primary focus has always been uh, training uh, since about 1976 is something I've decided that I was going to be a trainer and have devoted my life to that, but I've been a cop since 72, so I'm older than all you guys around. And I've done this for uh, a lot of years. And I've been a trainer since 1980. Um, been a student of the gun my whole life. Uh, got pictures of me three years old holding guns. Uh, my mom said that uh, I wasn't born with it, but right afterwards I've got it. And I've always enjoyed it, which has followed me in my career in law enforcement. Uh, fire instructor, as I said, and I'm a trainer trainer. I work for a national organization. I train law enforcement officers how to be fire instructors. I've been involved in the ballistics end of stuff just because that's just been a fascinating thing with me. I've studied um, ballistics from everybody from Hatcher, Cooper, to uh, Nanti, to everybody you can pretty much name out there. 
Uh, like Chuck, I've shot everything that you can think of with bullets testing up from uh, clay to boards, pine boards to uh, water jugs to ballistic gelatin and a uh, variety of other things, critters, um, and something I'm really interested in. And as far as the uh, aspects of this, Chuck and I have been knowing each other now for kind of be close to 18 years, I think, Chuck. Um, from Sioux City area days when I was teaching classes up there and Chuck was a, a copper in his department and uh, we got to be friends and then uh, I've been friends with Daryl since about the same time span when he came to a class of mine in Vegas uh, and we've been buddies since then and taught classes with him. Uh, my interest in ballistic like I said came from just I like guns and I like know what bullets do and I have care less about uh, any other type of mechanical devices, but guns have always fascinated me and the performance of bullets of why they do what they do has just interested me. So I read everything I can about it, study everything I can about it, talk to everybody I can about it. Um, like Chuck, I've been to a lot of autopsies to see what bullets do uh, and find it fascinating. Um, hardest one was when a friend of mine who was shot and killed. That was the hardest one I ever went to. And that was with a 22 short of all things. Um, but uh, it's just something I'm interested in. And then we do involve the revolver roundup for the last few years. And I like statistics. And so I've been keeping track. Chuck's been doing the ballistic testing there for quite some time. And I kind of logged myself into it and started keeping records of what we were doing. Uh, the purpose for that one up at that class is simply to try the student's ammo to give them an idea of what it does in ballistic gelatin. So they have some uh, concepts of what they're carrying. And I just started keeping records of it um, because it was easier for me to do that. And then I published it last year. And then I've been interested in wad cutters ever since uh, I've been a target shooter um, back in the 70s in the Air Force. And I remember an uh, instructor telling me that the reason why we didn't carry 30 special wad cutters when I brought it up uh, in the Air Force is because they're far too powerful compared to the 38 military ball that we were using. That was his exact words. I'm more like, wow, okay. But uh, they do work well. I've seen them work. I believe in them. And uh, I'll be happy to talk about it. But I'm doing a, a very extensive study. Uh, it's in progress of uh, testing like 55 different wad cutter loads from around the country and around the world uh, in four different calibers out of about 12 different barrel lengths and into a variety of standardized uh, testing products, clear ballistic gels that I'm using but I'm doing four-layer denim. Uh, I'm also using the FBI's four uh, heavy clothing protocols. And just want to see what they do, comparing them side by side to each other, uh, which has never been done. And I'm writing a book about it. And hopefully I'll get that done. My goal was to have it done, but after COVID, the training world exploded and everybody who couldn't get training for the last uh, two years all of a sudden decided they need it now. And so I've been doing nothing but a lot of training. So that's where I am right now, even though I'm still actively working on that thing. It's just taking me longer than I expected. Out of curiosity, what are the four calibers that you're using? 32 Smith & Wesson Long, 38 Special, uh, 44 Special, and 45 Auto Rim. Why those specifically? Because they're loads that have been built into wide cutters. They've got, they've got factory wide cutters for all those loads. Um, another one would probably be the 41 Magnum, but I don't own one and I've never really been interested in it. It's, it's a decent caliber, but just not interested in it. Uh, I try to stay with uh, 38, 357s and stuff like that. Oh, very cool. Very cool. So before we officially started, kind of went over the list of topics to discuss and it was brought up. It's not a bad idea for us to kind of just put out there what 
and what the expectation should be with various firearms and how they perform rifles, pistols, shotguns. Chuck, what do you have to say for about that? So, you know, we, we kind of started talking about that FBI wound ballistics criteria and things like that. Um, and a lot of the information that we get from that has been proved because, uh, you know, you look at, you look at Dr. Fackler, you know, who's the one that did it basically proved and, and developed the 10% gelatin protocol. People act like, well, you know, that it's just some lab sterile thing. He was a combat surgeon in Vietnam, saw a lot of people shot with, you know, AKs, M16s, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, anything you're going to see in, uh, in a war, uh, did a lot of work on, uh, fragmentation characteristics of various, uh, bullets, did a lot of testing when he was running the army wound, the, it was a Presidio lab and it was the army wound ballistics lab, um, that, where they were supposed to test, you know, what do our bullets do? How do, how do we surgically mitigate things? You know, if, if somebody gets shot, what can you expect out of different calibers, ammunition development, that sort of thing? Uh, you know, and what he noticed, like the, the standard M193 55 grain full metal jacket out of the M16, out of that 20 inch barrel, it was very famous for yawing uh, within a couple hundred meters and then turning sideways and then fragmenting and then giving a bullet wound out of proportion to the bullet size. You know, the bullet hole was actually bigger than a bullet. So they started codifying why that was that sort of thing. So some things I want to throw out there is one, the ballistic gelatin protocol is very well uh, proven in the real world. Uh, you have other studies like uh, Eugene Wolberg, who was uh, in Southern California and was a coroner um, pathologist who did a study on 147 grain Winchester uh, duty ammunition that one of the departments was using there and then compared autopsy and surgical information bullets who were fired by the police because they could fully document those cases and then compared those bullets against uh the autopsy or the surgery information, like bullet wound path, things like that. And so when people talk about, well, gelatin doesn't have bones or, and things like that, one of the reasons the FBI protocol was brought into place, like the 12 to 18 inches of penetration, was to take that into account. Uh, and it, while it's true that uh, gelatin, you know, large bones, femurs, things like that, will impede penetration of the bullet. Uh, if you got a good bullet, it also means that bullet that a bone's probably broken. So, you know, it, it's hard to hop around on one leg in a gunfight. Uh, and we see that in the FBI fight that I mentioned earlier, where uh, both Platt and Maddox were shot through the forearms and the bullets destroyed the bones that they hit and really debilitated the bad guy's ability to return fire. And then uh, uh, other things about bones is like ribs. Ribs basically don't even matter. Uh, both the uh, U.S. law enforcement and the Canadians, you could actually pull that up on uh, on the Internet. They did a big study where they put bones in the ballistic gel, rib bones, and basically came to the conclusion that it didn't change anything. And it was such a pain in the ass. They just quit doing it. Um, things that we know do make a difference is some of the tests that we stick to, like uh, IDWBA four layer denim protocol. A lot of people don't understand that. They're like, well, nobody wears four layers of denim. It's an engineering test is what it is. It's like putting a jet plane 
a model of a jet plane in, in an air in a uh, you know a wind tunnel to see what your aerodynamics are that sort of thing it's an engineering test why do we want to do that because we found out that bullets that pass that test robustly mushroom on the street judy was boring hello then judy discovered jumbacasino.com it's my little escape now judy's the life of the party oh baby mama's bringing home the bacon whoa take it easy judy the Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Other, other test protocols have had some, you know, the bullet could be fairly successful, but we still have failures. Personally, bullets that pass, like jacketed hollow points, uh, as an example, I saw a lot of aftermath of 124 grain plus P nine millimeter gold dots that had been shot into people. And that bullet performs very robustly in the IWBA four layer denim protocol. And guess what I never saw on the street ever was a bullet failure out of that bullet through heavy clothing, regardless of bullet length, regardless of what the bad guy was wearing. As an example, one of my troops had to shoot an armed robbery suspect twice in the middle of a snowstorm, 20 below zero, and the guy was wearing an Oakland Raiders coat over a Carhartt coveralls, a denim jacket, flannel shirt, and long johns. That, that clothing is just outrageously heavy. Bullets still perform. Both of them did. Um, and then uh, other, other myths that I see, people think that there's magic properties. Like I see this all the time. Uh, the guys that that want to push like the 5.7 as being something magical because it's rifle-like because it it exceeds 20 or 2,000 feet per second. Well, 2,000 feet per second, you get a temp cavity and it's rifle-like. No, it's not because the bullet mass isn't there. It has less bullet mass than a 22 long rifle in uh, the, the military versions of that. So it, it's a combination of factors. What Fackler showed was you have some of the old Buffalo rifle rounds like um, – 4570 or the 577 British, or you go back to the Civil War, uh, what do we know surgically about the Civil War? What happened if somebody got shot in the arm or the leg? They lost that limb. Why? Because you're shooting a 62 caliber bullet made out of soft lead at people at, you know, 14, 15, 1600 feet per second, depending on the length of the black powder gun. But what did those bullets do? People didn't worry about stopping power in the civil war because they were basically throwing 20 gauge slugs at each other. Uh, so you go forward in time, some of the full metal jackets, 762 M80 ball is famous for this. Sometimes it'll go right through people without any yaw or upset. So it leaves a bullet wound path, very similar to a round nose lead 38 special, you know, um, and you can take bullets less than 2,000 feet per second, like your average Foster 12-gauge slug, 
1600 feet per second, typically maybe a little bit less, but it'll mushroom to an inch and a half, typically fragmented to two or three large pieces as a temp cavity, eight inches across. It didn't ever exceed that 2000 feet per second threshold. But when you have a slug, that's an ounce or an ounce and a quarter, that kind of makes the difference. So um, <clears throat> there's no magic properties. It's all physics. <clears throat> Just because a, <clears throat> <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> my allergies are kind of bad today. Just because a bullet exceeds 2,000 feet per second doesn't mean it's going to give good performance. Just because a bullet is below 2,000 feet per second doesn't mean it's not going to give significant performance. But generalities are shotguns are shotguns, rifles are rifles, pistols are pistols. And what pistols do is they poke holes in things. So it's a function of, it's no different than if I took a dowel rod and I stabbed somebody with it to a certain depth. A bullet wound is pretty typically very similar to that. Um, uncomplicated. There's no magic shock waves. Temporary cavity is not large enough to add to wounding. And, I, and I'm talking getting up into the 357 Magnum in the 10 millimeter range. It, the temp cavity is still pretty insignificant. And uh, lastly, I want to say there's no free lunch. There's no magic bullets. A lot of people, history repeats itself. Mark, how old's a Glazer safety slug? 40, 50 years now, maybe? Uh, first came out in about 1982, I think, 83, right after right after I uh, became a, a cop in uh, Arizona, it came out. And it may have actually been over the night. It may be longer than that. It may have been 76, but I first got some back in the 80s. Uh, I think they I think they invented it for the original air marshal program. When, remember when everybody was taking right. over airplanes and yep. they were like fly me to Cuba kind of thing. Um, so it's been around. So light for caliber fragmenting pistol bullets have been tried over and over and over. Uh, First, it was the Glazers. Then it was the MagSafe. Nowadays, we got like the RIP and, you know, BS like this. People will try to sell you magic beans and magic bullets. Uh, human beings by nature want to sell other people snake oil. It's all bullshit. You can't get around physics. There's no magic. Pistol bullets poke holes in people. Our job is to guide those bullets to the correct spots that are uh, physiologically significant. Other than that, I mean, that, that's, that, that's all there is, you know, until we can set phasers on stun or we have laser blasters or something that's, that's as good as it's going to get. Along those same lines, Lehigh, uh, having seen, uh, what is it? The extreme penetrator mm -hmm. and seeing someone commit suicide with that clean hole through the head and then through three or four other walls, did, did it, did the guy die do the injury? Yeah. It went through his brain. Did it do a massive amounts of trauma? No. So, and you know, I will, when I talk about a bullet, it's, it's the whole, you know, going back to Pat Rogers mission drives a gear chain. Uh, is that a good bullet? People will carry that for self-defense. Um, if you know the properties of the bullet you're launching, you can pick that bullet for the job you want it to do. Now, the Lehigh Extreme Penetrator, let's say I was carrying a nine millimeter self-defense pistol and now I'm going to be backpacking in bear country and I don't want to buy a 44 Magnum or something like that. Can I get some of that ammo test fired in my gun and carried in my gun because it penetrates like three feet of gelatin? Sure. 
but is that going to make it better than an HST or a gold dot for, you know, concealed carry self-defense or police duty use? You know, no, absolutely not. What we want to do is know the characteristics of the bullets we're using and then apply those bullets to whatever, whatever our mission is. Why don't we talk about that just very briefly, because I actually, what you just said is a note that I wrote down that we could address later, but since you brought it up, uh, choosing ammo against people versus dangerous game. So it, it, in a microcosm, in some ways it can be similar. And you and I have talked about this with 380 pistols or smaller guns, 22s, uh, 32s, things like that. So my analogy would be if I've got a 9, 40, 45, and I might be in bear country, what, what do I want my bullet to not do? I don't want to use standard self-defense loads that yep. mushroom and come to a stop like if you think of a bear shoulder versus a person's shoulder, how much penetration do you have to get to to get to a vital organ? It's much, much, much more significant. You know, just the skin and the fat is going to be several inches instead of just, you know, three quarters of an inch or whatever. Um, so you're going to want to maximize your penetration potential. Well, if you drop your bullets down, like if the target shrinks, now you got a 200, 250 pound human and you're carrying a shrunken gun like a Ruger LCP. Am I going to want to shoot jacketed hollow points that might limit penetration? No, I don't. So something like one of the Lehigh bullets or a full metal jacket would be your choice for a small caliber pistol uh, because your penetration is still there. And that is primary over expansion to get the stopping power, for want of a better term, that you're going to look for, which is one reason like Mark's uh, and Wadcutter uh investigation that he's doing and why guys like me, when you have bullet, when, when, when hollow point bullets are going to compromise penetration, like for 38 snubs, we want to, we recommend wad cutters or semi wad cutter bullets because they cut a very clean hole and then give you the penetration that you need. They're, they're more than sufficient penetration. So when we look at the mission, if I got a bigger target, like a bear, uh, you know, what type of bullet that I want, do I want it to, how do I want it to perform? And now I've got a smaller target, but I'm using a smaller gun. It, we're kind of still looking at the same characteristics that we're looking for in that ammunition. Now in service pistols, 940-45 and a human target, <clears throat> now we can look at those FBI factors like we want the bullet to penetrate 12 to 18 inches so that it, it'll get through the torso at any angle, even with an arm intervening in the way. Very famously, again, out of the, the Miami fight, when uh, Platt was shot, his arm was at an angle, so it didn't go through the arm sideways, it went through the arm at a, at a steep angle. So it went through about six inches of tissue before it ever hit the guy's chest. So because we have the bullet weight and the velocity to utilize expansion, we go ahead and do that because we can make bullets that both expand and penetrate sufficiently to the target that we have to address. Now, that type of bullet for people would be counterproductive for like bear defense or a moose or something like that. So then again, you would pick different ammunition. Um, that Lehigh ammo, I don't think it's bad ammo, but it's not magic. The flutes don't do anything for you. All it is, is a really good solid copper semi wide cutter, which I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not just saying, I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying it is what it is. And if that's what you need for your mission at hand, like for a 380, if it feeds through your 380, 
that'd be a good bullet, like for a Ruger LCP or one of the micro guns. If it's what you want to use in your server, like your Glock 19 or Glock 22 that you're going to carry into bear country and you want to maximize the potential, then again, you know, it's a good bullet. But we already knew that if you go back in history to guys like Elmer Keith, that I think maybe <laughs> me and Mark and Sherman know who they are amongst all the people watching this video. Um, <clears throat> Elmer figured this out shooting like elk in the 30s with 357 magnums and 45 long colts and things like that. There's a reason why the Keith style bullet is built the way that it is, you know? Um, probably the reason like that case that uh, we were talking about earlier before we started the uh, flat point bullet that the, the murder case that Sherman talked about, why that bullet penetrated so straight was that that flat point profile um, tends to penetrate very, very deeply and very, very straight because the bullet is so stable. Um, but yeah, I've been talking a while. Somebody else should do something. Oh, that was great. Mark, Sherman, Andy. I'll throw out as far as why bullets do what they do. Uh, with pistol bullets, uh, I just like this. They cut tissue, they cause hemorrhaging, and thus create hypoblemic shock. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um... They don't have the temporary cavity, like he said. It's more like a bruise. Uh, rifle rounds, when they hit, uh, produce enough trauma to the body that they stretch the organs beyond their ability to stretch, ripping and tearing, which greatly aids to it. But I use this downright example. What I use, but I use a knife. You stick somebody with a knife, you're doing the same thing you're doing with a pistol bullet. You're cutting tissue, causing hemorrhaging, that's creating hypoglymic shock. Uh, I like being able to shoot. Uh, quickly and effectively and make sure that the bullets are going where they're supposed to go. And I find a lot of the hollow point ammunition, at least for like the two inch 38 that I carry a little, little snubby that it's difficult to control for me. So I like something I can control and, and put the hits where I want to put them. And I think that's more important than having a high velocity bullet that I can't shoot. I mean, I know some friends who are carrying titanium revolvers who are carrying full house 357 magnums in them, but they don't shoot them. And I, hope they don't get involved in shooting because I'm not sure they can perform with them. I don't know anybody who can. I've never seen anybody that can perform with a Scandium 357 and 357 Magnums and do any of the standardized testing that we consider valid for uh, self-defense shooting. So that's one of my reasons why I like what I like with it. So I'm, I agree with on the penetration bullet for the heavy game too. They've all used that. You don't see any hollow point bullets being used in Africa. Uh, you know, so I see them. They're all they're all heavy bullets with a big meat plat, doing a lot of tissue damage to make it drive in. 
And uh, I'll also go back out. The pistol bullets also don't travel straight all the time. Just because you hit some guy straight in the chest does not mean it's going to go straight through his body. It could be deflected off a rib. And, you know, Chuck mentioned ribs are not a uh, much of a median. Well, they do deflect bullets. And I've seen that. And I suspect that's what happened with my shooting is I clipped the rib, didn't break it, but I clipped it barely. And my bullet, while it went through the kid's chest and did a great job and dumped him like a bad habit, it hit nothing vital inside the body. There wasn't one major organ that was uh, injured by it, even though it was a good chest hit and went traversed through the body and straight down and stopped on the top of his liver. And uh, it's, you know, one of those things that you just don't know what you're going to get with it. So I've, I like staying with the light loads because I control them. That's my reasons. So, all right, somebody else. Um, hi. Matt, do you have uh, those photos that I sent you? I have them all. In, all look, I have them all on standby, just waiting on you. Okay, like let's um, let's start the one with the um, well, let's let's go in time. Let's start with the one with the slug, recovered slug, and the hand. <clears throat> and since Andy likes trauma, here we go. Um. So, that one, that one, yeah. So, uh, like Chuck said, it's 130 grain, um, round nose, uh, sorry, flat nose type projectile, uh, 38 special, fired from a range of approximately 10 feet. I misspoke if you heard me earlier. Uh, I think I conflated this mentally with another case, um, as far as the hand injury preceding the uh, um, the penetrating uh, wound to the chest, but you could see where it's gone through his hand and then um, to the next um, photo, Matt, with the chest x-rays. Um, okay, so, um, and you can see um, there in the, in the x-ray in the, the, um, the AP lateral chest there, you could see the slug went like literally through his, um, um, <laughs> his pledge of allegiance heart, you know, like not, not dead, dead center. Like a lot of people tend to think of it, but just slightly, uh, off to the left. So, um, and you know, obviously that was enough to, uh, to do it. And then you can, you can see, um, you know, in the, in the cardiac shadow there, like where, uh, the bullet arrested, you know, just directly in front of the spine. And, um, and then there's a good deal of, um, clouding there on the right-hand side that would be indicative of, um, a massive amount of, of fluid in this case, filling it up. So, um, like I said, you know, if, if, um, if you gave any of the, uh, Instagram whiz kids, the choice to, um, pick around out of a revolver, you know, to, to use in defense of their life, I, I think every single one of them would laugh and dismiss, um, the, uh, um, 130 grain, uh, flat nose, uh, 
but they have it. If you, if you place the projectile correctly, it certainly will do its job directly as expected. Um, so, and then, um, I guess we could show those other two. Yep. I have, I think I only have one other of the teeth. Okay. Of the, of the, there's a panoramic x-ray there. Um, let's see which one you got. And then I'll send you the one that you don't have. Oh, okay. This one. So this is, um, this is an interesting case of, uh, I have a patient that had a previous mandible fracture. There's that he had, uh, internally fixated. You can see that there's a titanium plate that kind of runs right across the midline of his mandible. That was from a previous injury unrelated to the gunshot wound. So the way that this went down is, oh, uh, let me just explain to the folks at home. When you look at an x-ray like this, you can see there's an L on the lower right-hand side. Imagine this is a essentially like if we took a two-dimensional photo of someone's face and then flattened it and then peeled all their skin off. So like a full head flat. So you're looking at their jaw um, flattened out. Um, we call this a panoramic radiograph or a pantomograph if you're Canadian. Um, but anyway, when you look at this, you orient it by knowing that the L there shows the patient's left. Um, so the bullet actually entered on the right-hand side um, of the patient's cheek um, just kind of dead square in the middle of his cheek um, and then traversed through the mandible, um, broke some teeth and broke out a good section of bone there. Um, and then uh, does everybody's screen keep going blank or is that just me? And I also found the other picture. Okay. Um I don't know why that keeps happening, but huh, okay. Well, anyway, um, and then it uh, kind of went through the space right in front of his tongue and then hit the interior portion of his mandible uh, or the medial portion, as we call it, fractured that and then continued out the other side. And it left a good trail of debris um, throughout the floor of his mouth, throughout his buccal mucosa or his cheeks. Um, and then um, went out the other side. So, and that was, um, from all reports and our, um, surgical assessment, probably something in the nine millimeter, uh, or, or 38 range. Um, this next one here, this is a, uh, this happened back in 2012 ish, um, where this guy came in, he had a, uh, a laceration underneath his right eye and said that he'd been shot in the face. Uh, and that when he drank water and um, <clears throat> uh, when he would drink water, it would come out his nose. And the reason for that is um, he has what we call an oral antral fistula or a unnatural communication between his mouth and his maxillary sinus. And what happened here is the bullet actually went in, um, like I said, right above his, or, sorry, right below his right eye, um, penetrated in, went to the posterior or the rear wall of his sinus um, and then did like a hard 90 degree down um, shattered out uh, the maxillary tuberosity or the basically the floor of his skull um, and took a few teeth with it 
and then went into his mouth. This is kind of where it did the JFK uh, uh, bullet thing here. So it deposits a part of the slug on the right-hand side there, kind of tied up in the substance of his parotid gland um, and his masseter muscle. And then a big piece of it kind of whirly-gigged off to the side and stuck itself in front of uh, the, uh, the ramus of his mandible on the left-hand side. So he wasn't able to open his mouth because he was essentially like mechanically impeded from doing so. But he also had this unnatural communication where um, when he would you know, drink water, of course, it'd come out his nose because there's now a space there that isn't supposed to exist. So um, kind of interesting. And um, that was the case of the, you know, the 45 hydroshock that everybody thought was a, a colossal failure. But I mean, you know, uh, it, it essentially like blew the bottom of this guy's skull out. Just you didn't see it unless you knew what you were looking for. So um, and he either swallowed it or spit it out. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at chabacasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Um, and it was just, you know, a jagged wreck in there. So that required, you know, obviously um, a surgical procedure to repair and then also um, recover what we could have the slug without damaging his facial nerve or any of the arteries that are associated with it. So strange thing. Um, but, you know, like I said, um, I, in both of those cases, um, there was a definitive change in the actions of the person who was on the receiving end of the projectile. So from a civilian perspective, both of those were a great success. And um, that's one of the things that really annoys me with um, the peanut gallery these days is the failure to recognize that um, just because a projectile didn't blow someone's head clean off of their shoulders um, doesn't mean that it is, you know, a bad projectile or um, not worthy of, of use or consideration. You know, it, it's the, the, the job is, is uh, accomplished um, from a, a civilian perspective, you know, I mean, every, every, you know, there's a, there's a different uh, job for military ammunition, for police ammunition and for uh, civilian defense ammunition for civilian defense ammunition. You want them to stop whatever it was that they're doing, you know? And um, so that uh, certainly did it. Why don't we talk about some of the 
traditional wounding that different very or various bullets do round nose versus wad cutter versus semi wad cutter versus hollow point. Cause I know there's definitely going to be some differences and I don't know if that's necessarily universally understood. Sure. So, I mean, with, um, you know, with low velocity projectiles, um, with anything that has a, a cornered, um, you know, me plat on it is going to have uh, a, a bigger cutting effect on tissue, you know, where it's actually lacerating tissue um, and displacing it as it moves through. So um, with uh, round nose projectiles, you see, you know, like basically a um, an aerodynamic lack of disturbance in in tissue. You know, you see uh, just a, a penetration that goes from one end to the other. And yeah, you can trace the wound tract, but it's not necessarily um, going to be a space that's been created. The larger the diameter of the bullet, you know, with wad cutters and then with anything semi-wad cutter, you're actually you know, cutting, actually cutting and lacerating tissue and, and punching a hole through it with, um, the round nose projectiles, you're squeezing a hole through it that instantly collapses back on itself. Um, and, and that's one of the things that, you know, when Chuck was talking earlier and, and Mark was talking earlier about, um, what, what people fail to recognize is, you know, that human tissue, every bit of it, is uh you know primarily water-based and when you hit it with enough force it resumes its fluid form instead of its semi-solid form and you know then we're also made up of uh non-homogeneous tissue you know like we're we've got different compartments throughout our bodies that are composed of tissues that have different tensile strengths some are relatively rugged some are very easily torn and ripped. Um, and, um, and, you know, so all of that stuff has to, to take, be taken into consideration when you, when you compare it. So when you see these, these wound channels in, uh, ballistic gelatin, whether it's, you know, true ballistic gelatin, or if it's clear gel, it's, it's a model, uh, of a wounding mechanism, but it's not a um, direct analogy to what you see in human tissue because human tissue is not homogenous. And, you know, like Chuck was talking about, you know, the stuff where people would put ribs in it, you know, and, and, and do things like that to try and replicate the effect of, you know, having a, a you know, bone suspended um, or, 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 you know, in a, in a tissue model. The, the reason that, calibrated ballistic gelatin was made to the standard that it was made because back in the early days when they were doing these kinds of things that it matched a computer model. So they were looking for a specific coefficient to be able to compare um, across the board, the results of these ballistic, uh, of ballistic testing. So, you know, the thing that people don't often realize is that with the, uh, um, and, and this is where it gets weird is, is the, you know, the FBI's criteria for penetration of 12 to 18 inches being ideal. They'll say, well, you know, you got a big guy, like, 
Sherman size, if you have to shoot him, you know, through the deltoids and have the bullet go across his chest to make it out the other side, you know, that's, that's probably, you know, at least, I don't know, 36, 37 inches. Um, that's not going to work, you know, but it, it doesn't work that way. So, you know, Chuck and I have done tests before like where we've shot clear gel in the same weekend that we've shot pigs with the exact same rounds. <clears throat> and, you know, uh, the one that I'm thinking of specifically is that 45 Colt that was, uh, I don't remember the exact grain of it uh, or the weight of the bullet, but it was approaching 300 grains. And um, uh, we shot that into ballistic gelatin and it went all the way through the block and out the other side um, and didn't get arrested in the, um, in the denim on the outside. Uh, and probably went into the berm, but in that pig that we shot, it went, and it was not a very big pig. Um, it probably was less than a hundred pounds. Um, it only went, um, you know, probably seven or eight inches. So, you know, I, I, I tend to, um, think that, that when, when people think about this kind of stuff, because now it's so accessible, you can type, ballistic gel results, you know, for whatever it is that you carry, um, and get, you know, some type of internet Google image result, and then also some data and think that that is going to be, you know, if I'm carrying 140 grain, uh, 357 Magnum, you know, Ranger hollow point that I'm going to get, you know, 18.5 inches of penetration in a human being. And, and I, that's not, that's not what these, what the data uh, exists to demonstrate. And that's not a proper interpretation of the data. And that's what a lot of people really, really severely miss the boat on. Um, and no matter, you know, how hard you yell it from the tallest mountaintop, it still goes right over the top of people's heads. And um, it's, it's just always, uh, you know, kind of baffling for probably all of us to just, you know, it's to the point where you just kind of roll your eyes and just go, man, like, you know, I, I got a whole bunch of uh, science that I'm going to have to break down for you, for you to be able to grok this. And I just don't have the bandwidth to, to do no. it. Oh, well, that's because they, they want everything to be binary. It's yes, no, one, zero, black, white, no nuance, no gray, we change one variable and the round is going to do something completely different. Yeah. So I think things that I've seen in the past uh, and I've seen this phenomenon, like I talked about, I've got a lot of experience at 124 plus P nine millimeter gold dot. I have, it rarely stays inside a person, even a large grown man with a cross chest hit, uh, even with bone being struck, like the arm robbery guy that I talked about, um, you know, one of those went through the liver, missed the rib, in and out, uh, all soft tissue. One of them, he had reached his hand in his coat pocket, said he was going to kill the officer. So the bullet went through his wrist and then completely through the torso. So we found both of those bullets. Uh, one of them hit like got caught up in the clothing on exit and dribbled out and fell on the ground. The other one penetrated clothing on exit and was laying there like a ballistics gel ad on the sidewalk 
perfectly expanded like a, a, an ad for gold dots. Uh, and this was a, a good sized dude. Now I have personally, like I had to put down a rabid raccoon one night, um, you know, and a coon's like 35, 40 pounds and a bullet didn't exit. But what I noticed was a dramatic effect out of the, the raccoon. So my theory is if you hit that thing and the bullet is the, the target actually moves with the bullet, then that subtracts some of the penetration because it's physically moving the, uh, the, the, the target, you know? Um, so it gets carried along with the bullet. And I think that's what happened with the pig uh, because I, I remember that very distinctly. And that was, that puzzled both Sherman and I, when we did that, uh, cause it, that the, but the 40 pound gel block had enough resistance and friction and everything else. I mean, it bounced from the temp cavity, but the bullet very clearly, uh, left and kept going with significant velocity. So that's part of my theory. And that's part of what, when, when we're talking about large game or people or things like that, um, like if I take, uh, I'll, I'll talk about like a 22250 or a 220 Swift, um, that's a bullet that, you know, pushing 4,000 feet per second with a 22 cal, same kind of bullets you would see in a 223 or 556. Well, when you're using one of those in a prairie dog field, you hit a prairie dog, the prairie dog is pink mist. If you were to hit a human like that, they would have a significant bullet hole. And if you put it in the right place, they're probably going to drop dead because they'll have a hole the size of a Nerf ball inside their body. Mm -hmm. But if you take that same bullet and you go shoot like a Cape Buffalo in the ass with it, you, you better be in a vehicle driving fast at that point because the Cape Buffalo is going to come stomp you. Uh, so target size Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Has to do with bullet effect as well. Because the, that same temp cavity applied to a bigger, tougher target, it, 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 does, it just doesn't have the effect. So I, my theory is that that's why what... what uh, Sherman, I saw, I have seen in other cases, um, and I've seen, like I've seen a lot of nine millimeter gold dots and they tend to go all the way through people and then they don't go through a raccoon. And you're like, well, you know, what the hell's going on? And I think it's because the you know, physically moving the target with the bullet is, is part of it, you know, Mark, I was going to say, I'll throw out some uh, things on the penetration and bullets too. Uh, around those bullets, it depends also what it does, what's inside the body. Is it stable enough? Is it shaped right? If it tumbles, you're going to get much more cross-sectional density, which means it's going to get a lot more effectiveness. 
And I think it's how the bullet's shaped and whether it does what it's supposed to as far as if it tumbles or turns or uh, deviates from flight or whatever. Those, those factors also increase bullet performance, even with a round nose. Uh, it'll do a lot more damage with it. Uh, 45 hardball is one thing I, because uh, we had a lot of shootings here in uh, our county, because that was what the county sheriff's office carried for years and years. And they had very successful use of hardball ammunition. And almost every round that I remember uh, going through usually stopped on the other side of the body inside the clothes. Uh, and you think a 45 round nose would just poke right through. Um, those that did make it through, uh, one stuck in a wall uh, on a shooting from our art department. And Another one uh, hit a deputy who was in behind the guy, but he was shot just down the lower abdomen. Uh, the bad guy was, I meant, and the bullets overpenetrated. One hit a washing machine, bounced off, and landed on top of it and was very little deformation. The other one actually hit the deputy who was behind him and poked in his body about uh, half an inch. Uh, his tail on his body armor actually caught the bullet, and when they pulled the tail out, it popped the bullet out like a pimple. And the deputy there, but that was shot literally at about two feet uh, from the bad guy and about two feet from the deputy. So we have maybe four foot total and that went through this guy's body and hit nothing vital other than the lower gust area, but it went through. So bullets just don't, bullets don't do what we want, we'll think they're going to do. And, you know, we can make some correlations with uh, ballistic gel and actual street shootings, but there's so many variables in there, again, from barrel length, velocity, uh, angle of attack, uh, clothing, whatever. I mean, there's so many variables you can't give an absolute uh, as to what it's going to do. So, you know, people ask me why I carry the wad cutters because I have a snub nose. I think they'll work and uh, hollow points. I'll carry out a beer guns because I think they'll work. So I do it based on my own things. And that's the reason I'm doing this big test is I want to know what the difference is. I don't know. I think now is a good time to talk about those wad cutters. Sure. We want to talk about on it. That's ours. The, the, Purpose for the test that I did, um, I hear people either blame wad cutters for being worthless or claim them to be these like magic pills. Uh, and you, you see very few people in between. And like most things, I wanted to know what um, were the criteria for this. So all wad cutters, maybe lost wad cutters into one big uh, pile. And we can't do that like we do with anything else. You can't do that. You can't make it one, one wad cutter bullet that's going to do this, this, and this. Because manufacturers make them differently, they construct them differently, uh, different velocities. Uh, I saw velocity variances with the big six, uh, three uh, commercial made, one US made, and the three big ones outside the US uh, of almost 120 feet per second difference in velocity uh, out of the same gun. It'd be, they're just not the same. So you gotta look at balance of that. Then you go into the boutique ammo, in which I did uh, everything I could find at wad cutter out there I've shot. Uh, you got the boutique ammo and your uh, buffalo bore and underwood, which uh, dry the velocities up in the high eights, nines, um, which you're getting a lot more penetration with with a hard cast bullet, and they're doing the job they're supposed to do, but it's difficult to shoot them out of a lightweight gun. So that's the problem with them. I, I, can, I can't effectively shoot the Buffalo board loads out of my uh, everyday carry gun, my 642 with a set of Bantam stocks on it and guarantee that I want to be able to put all my rounds and you know, my uh, target that I want to shoot and hit it where I want to in the time span I want to do it. So it's, it's a balance between that power speed and accuracy. And I think the wad cutters go with uh, that strong knee plat bullet. Uh, Shape-wise does make a difference. Uh, the amount of 
antimony in the lead, how hard the bullet is, how soft the bullet is, that all makes a difference with it. Um, occasionally you'll see a wad cutter that'll invert itself, but it's not very often. Usually they go straight and true, uh, pretty much. Um, you've got wad cutter like bullets, like the HST um, Federal Load that was out there, like a reverse wad cutter, which Chuck and I have tested extensively now. And while it's a great concept, poor consummation, and it's a crappy load. And it's now been discontinued by Federal because they could not get consistency. They had at least three different generations of bullet designs in the short, what, five, six years that stuff existed. And velocity-wise, when I tested, I had a load that went 910 feet per second out of my little snubby, stung the crack on my hand, and blew up in a target at four inches and destroyed itself inside the gel. I had another one that one pedal opened and it took a radical turn and exited the block and hit a block of gel below it. Uh, and I've had others who've gone through that you could reload and shoot them again. Um, it just was very inconsistent load uh, from shooting it in anything other than uh, bare gelatin, even bare gelatin, the ones I just talked about, those were in bare gelatin and they didn't perform. So Federal got rid of that load for that reason. Uh, they couldn't get the consistency, and they were honest about it at SHOT Show when I went and talked to them about it. They said, yeah, this is what we found with it, and this is why we don't make it anymore. It was too hard to make, couldn't get consistency. We went through all these different bullet tripes and shapes, and it just didn't work. So it was a good experiment, but it, it failed miserably. And reverse hollow, or reverse wad cutters, uh, the hollow base wad cutter, that's always a big myth one. Uh, again, Chuck and I have tested quite a few of these. There's one company, uh, Atomic Ammo out of Phoenix, that makes a factory load for that. It's the only factory load out with it. And it does not penetrate. Those things open, if they do open, they open and they are shallow penetration. But many times they don't open, uh, especially if you have any clothing or anything like that in the way. They just basically turn into a wad cutter again, and you're not really gaining anything from it. So with... Uh, my personal preference is uh, Winchester, the Federal, or the uh, Remington. Those are my three that, and with commercial ones you can buy. They're extremely easy to shoot and extremely accurate and a reasonable uh, person from any size, if they can shoot it all, can shoot those things effectively, which they can't do with some of those hollow point loads. So, and uh, I'm just trying to put out facts to people, let them make their own decisions. So. What I found to be really, really interesting with wad cutters was now that I'm really looking for them, I can't find them. But of course they were available when I wasn't looking. They're uh, because PPC is where they obviously were most prolific in. Uh, and I'm a big PPC shooter. So back in those days, I bought a prolific amount of wad cutters and shot a prolific amount of wad cutters. Um, but I've still got them, but you can find them if you look. Uh, Winchester hasn't produced any for a while. Uh, Remington is coming out with them again. Federal just came out with it. In fact, you can buy uh, direct from Federal right now their wad cutter load from their website. Uh, they're not cheap. You're going to pay uh, about 50 bucks a box, but they're, they're available to you. Uh, there's other companies that are making uh, wad cutter loads um, that you can. What about Fioki, Mark? Fioki was too slow. It was the slowest of all of them. Um, we're talking in the low fives. Oh, wow. Uh, out of some of those. And I'm uh, interesting you mentioned that because uh, there was a picture posted in one of the groups that we belong to. And it was one of these rubber 3D dummies, you know, that you use for punching and shooting, et cetera. And somebody had fired three wad cutter loads and the bullets were sticking out of the front of the chest and only went in like a quarter <laughs> inch, three eighths of an inch. 
and you can see them sticking in the target. And I asked him, I said, what load did you shoot? You know, because I haven't seen wad cutters do that. And that's really what got me interested in doing this test because he said, well, I was shooting the Fiocia. I'm going like, well, okay, so that is the lowest of velocity of them. So that's why I decided to do all this comparison side by side with the clear ballistic gel um, when I was doing it and all the medians. And I also put barriers up. Uh, I put uh, interior wall, made an interior wall out of standard uh, sheetrock with the airspace in it. And very little effect of the, uh, the wall had on the wad cutter bullets. Didn't do anything to them. Uh, I shot them at 45 degree angles into four letter denim. Again, very little. Uh, there was no deflection I could see at all. I mean, I couldn't detect any. It might have been a little bit. I couldn't see any. Um, I also tried, and going back on something that Chuck talked about, was I tried uh, bone stimulant uh, of all kinds because I wanted to do the, the, the test with the bone to see what, you know, it would do. And I started out with half-inch pine boards after talking to several other doctor friends and found that nothing, none of these bullets that I saw penetrate very well and have seen well in uh, real shootings, they weren't going very deep. And then I went to a quarter inch and it still didn't work. And then I went to fiberboard and it didn't work. Um, I actually bought some, and you guys, maybe doctors may be familiar with this, uh, some bones, um, simulated bone out of Switzerland, which is used in the medical uh, community to teach doctors what to do with bone. It has the same consistency as bone. And so I did a quarter inch and an eighth inch uh, bone plate and they also didn't work. So in talking to all the folks that do this stuff on a regular basis, I found out that the reason we don't use bone in there is because the 10% gel is supposed to take into account skin, bone, cartilage, uh, everything, yeah. muscles, uh, lung tissue, uh, all the stuff there and put in a computer model as a whole to give us this penetration. So uh, when we get into ballistic testing and talk about the gel more, I want to get into some other tests besides the FBI's because I think there's some other tests out there that are very valid that we need to look at um, also. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Um, the wide cutters, the bigger the wide cutter, the deeper it went. Uh, we had wide cutters that made uh, 22 inches the uh, uh, of penetration through gel, uh, even after going through four layers of denim. I would carry that 44 special load as a uh, bear load myself. If I was going to carry it down into bear country, that would be an excellent load. I can shoot it well, which I can't shoot 44 magnums well, and yet the penetration is there, and that nice broad uh, meat plant on that bullet will do a lot of damage. So I'd be very comfortable carrying that kind of load in there. As an anti-personnel round, I fear those are going to over-penetrate. And you know, we always talk about overpenetration being a bad thing, and I guess it can be, but I think hitting first is the most important thing. And we we don't hit enough to even worry about overpenetration in most cases. Um, it's just a fact. Police officers are notorious for it. They should always worry about overpenetration, overpenetration. Well, how about hitting the target first? Then we can worry about overpenetration. So. so you talked briefly about other tests, and, and you also brought up lung tissue. So you're thinking like oranges are good simulated lung tissue, right? I'm, I'm kidding. Yeah. 
we have a leather jacket, a rack yeah. of ribs. Yes, exactly. A bag of oranges, two watermelons, 13 cantaloupes, another set of ribs, and a leather jacket. Don't forget about bologna. Oh, is there bologna in there too? Oh, yeah, there's a bologna one in there too. There's a, that's a, it's a different guy that does the pack of bologna. Yeah. Um, Actually, you know, he, he does some good stuff. He does water jumps. And I think he's just recently gone to, to clear gel. If I remember seeing a video, right. But he primarily uses water jugs, you know, and I did water jugs. I shot, I, I've killed so many water jugs. I can't even imagine how many that's been done, but it's gotta be, it's gotta be closing into the multiple hundreds of them um, over the years. They, they do a job. They do the job that, uh, you know, they're designed to do as far as they give you comparison from one to another, but there's a lot of different variations in those water jugs too. Uh, the different things of the plastic and if it's been exposed to the sun or not. So, so many variables, we can't have any, you know, there's really no consistency. Only consistency with bullet performances or no consistency. I think that's, that's probably what I would say out of it, but we can get some guide, guidelines based on street experience um, working you know, you mentioned Evan, uh, I have never met him, but I've read his books and I respect him immensely. And he's not a fan of the wide cutter bullet. He's, he and I have had some debates about that. And uh, it comes, some of it's from our own experience. I've had seen good experience from people being shot with wide cutters. He had a, uh, an officer who was shot with wide cutters who walked into the hospital. And so his view of that is skewed. Like my view is skewed from, uh, from the performance I've seen with it. Everything, everything has to be kept in balance on that. So some, uh, some of that I, Mark's comment right there just reminded me of, I, I see people on the internet all the time. And you know, like when there was the big debate between nine and 40 and things like that, and people will be like, and I, I see this in a lot of things. Like I'm told all the time that OC spray doesn't work. Uh, uh, nine millimeters don't work. You got to have a whatever, you know, that that's been around forever. 38s and gets you killed in the street, yada, yada, yada. And uh, so, but I, I ask people to quantify that. So, well, you know, Bob got shot, Bob got shot with a nine millimeter and you know that, okay. What critical structures in his body were struck by the bullet? Also, what kind of bullet? Well, it was a nine millimeter. Well, there's just in full metal jacket, uh, if you're looking at like Winchester white box or some of the other low grade target ammo, you got a 115 grade round nose. Some of that stuff's barely breaking 12 or, you know, a thousand feet per second. It barely works the gun. Uh, you get a NATO ball. Maybe you got a 124 grain bullet that's uh, doing almost 1300 feet per second. And it has a nose profile that causes it to reliably yaw. So that's going to be a different type of performance. You get a 147 grain full metal jacket flat point. That's going to be a different kind of performance. And that's just nine millimeter full metal jacket. So quantifying like, a, you know, what Mark just talked about with his uh, wad cutter um, uh, experiment that he's doing. I remember guys, Mark, you remember when guys used to soft load the wad cutters on the PPC course because they were, uh, you know, they wanted minimal recoil on the, on the rapid fire events, right? Sure. I, I saw guys loading their wad cutters down so low at the 50 yard line. If you had two target backers in there, it was stuck in the middle of two pieces of cardboard. Well, that's not going to be the same as a Winchester super match that I know because I've seen it will shoot completely through a large grown man. Uh, so when you say 38 wide cutter, what are you talking about? If you're saying nine millimeter, what do you talk, quantify this bullshit. 
well, it was, it was blah, blah, blah. And then some of the variables that we see, like Doc Fackler talked about this at length with uh, M855 ball that uh, probably Andy can talk about uh, even better. But, you know, you got guys looking the same firefight. If you read Black Hawk Down and you read some stuff that uh, Kyle Lamb's put out, Paul Howell and Kyle Lamb were both in the exact same event. Paul Howell was shooting people with green tip and famously in Black Hawk Down, he's talking about how bad those bullets suck. They're zipping right through people. They're not working. Kyle Lamb and his book, uh, Green Eyes, Black Rifles, talk about, you know, the green tip was working great for him. Everybody he shot, you know, it put big holes in him. And he thinks if the green tip's not working for you, you just can't shoot. Well, obviously, Paul Howell knows how to shoot and, uh, and conduct himself in the fight. So what are we talking about? And then Fackler and uh, um, Gary Roberts discovered the, the factor of fleet yaw. So Paul's 5.56 was throwing bullets very, very stable. And then Kyle Lambs was throwing bullets that had a little bit of wobble to them. So when they hit people, they would yaw and fragment significantly, whereas Paul's would bullets would just ice pick through people. And I've even seen this in, uh, in pistol bullets. Uh, when somebody quantifies the old 38 loads, round nose lead, uh, some of them I've, I've stepped out to try to see if I had any of them handy and I didn't. Well, a lot of round nose bullets are round like a ball, but some of the loads like I've tested 158 grain uh, American Eagle round nose lead is actually a semi spitzer. So it's semi pointed. That bullet, when I fired it in gelatin, a 100% of the time, it has yawed uh, a 180 or a 360, so the bullets will flip, whereas most round-nose bullets are very stable and they just kind of coast to a stop. I've seen the same thing in 9mm. If you see, if I see 9mm with more of a, a hemispherical bullet nose, they tend to punch through people and have a very small, like Sherman was talking about, like a very punctate wound, like an ice pick. But I've seen other people shot with bullets that are semi-spitzers. Uh, and that's a lot of nine millimeter that fits that bullet profile. And I've seen guys with a punctate wound on one side on the entrance and what looks like a wide knife wound on the other side. And I know what happened was that bullet was sideways when it exited because it was in the middle of doing a 180. And if you think about that, that there's a significant difference in bullet effect when bullets act like this. Um, so when you hear bullshit on the internet or somebody telling a, a, a C story, then when I try to pin people down and quantify it, like that one that Sherman showed us, we know was a 130 grain Winchester full metal jacket flat point fired at X amount of feet from, you know, I think well, that was a two inch, I think it was, but you know, I, I might be wrong there, but, uh, but right. at any rate, quantify what we're talking about, you know, um, that, that, and there's a lot of that not occurring on the internet or in these conversations, like Matt says, the nuanced conversations, you know, you got to qualify and quantify what you're talking about. I think bullet shape on that 130 grain is going to matter too. Uh, one of my goals is when I finish this one cutter test is to repeat this same test with everything out there that's a uh, 130 grain, 135, whatever, whatever weight, 132, and redo this test with, with those lows to see the same thing, to see what side-by-side -side comparison they do based on that. 
Um, we do the same thing with 158 grain lead round nose because there's so many different loads out there from manufacturers. And you and I have seen the same thing with that federal uh, load. But then I've got a Winchester load that just seems like it just goes straight through. And it's going it, to, bullet shape matters and bullet design matters. Um, before we started the program, I was talking about that the Dallas, uh, was it Forensic um, Institute of Science, uh, which is their, their crime lab out that way, they do a testing with a uh, chronograph in front. I think it's 20% gel, five and a half inches, and then, or six inches, and then another chronograph to see how much energy the actual that amount of gel takes and uh, absorbs. And they found that uh, the federal bullet worked better than the other loads, and it tumbled, just like we have. And they also found that the Air Force U.S. military ball out of a two-inch revolver uh, was more effective than all the 158 grains in damaging both the tissue and the leg and dumping more of its energy in the target. So uh, that load has been notoriously bad mouth the M41 ball ever since it came out. Uh, I remember reading one of the stories in one of Cooper's books that a pilot uh, in Vietnam uh, took a zapper out with it uh, who was coming up with a satchel charge and throw it in his Huey and to his two inch 38 out and shot this guy and again, dumped him like a bad hat with one shot. It just depends on where you hit them. And I think that's really what it comes out to. Because um, when I was in the Air Force, two guys screwing around with a gun, shot with the other eye in the neck, and the bullet went through and had a band-aid wound on both sides, even though it went through his neck because it hit nothing vital in the, inside the neck area when it went through, traversed. It just depends on what you hit. Andy, do you have anything to add? No, I'm just I'm just listening right now. I'm gonna I'm gonna wait for 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 our time. It's it's awesome conversation. A lot of there's actually a lot of information that um, you know that I'm just not aware of. You know, because I don't I don't study ballistics so much as you know just you know you end up seeing gunshot after gunshot after gunshot and you see people live, you see people die, you see people, you take people to the OR, other people you don't take the OR. So it's, it's, this is fascinating discussion and I'm um, actually, I'm learning a lot from it. So uh, I'm just actually enjoying it. That's good to hear. Good deal. Um, why don't we talk about the relationship of the barrel length velocity and terminal effects and with different types of ammunition Chuck, can you bring us into this since you, you've, you've discussed it a bit uh, uh, prior? Yeah, so uh, I, I took an interest in that back in. So when I started in police work, I was carrying a four inch 357 Magnum revolver. And then my backup gun was a two inch snub. And I started carrying 38s in it. Well, one, because it was a lightweight gun that I was carrying on my ankle by I, I, my choice was to carry an angle gun or no backup gun at all. So I went with a, a Colt Cobra and uh, those are, are pretty snappy and recoil. So I wanted to keep uh, recoil down, but I wanted to have good bullet performance as well. So kind of, you know, a, a, like in anything we do, that's a, a compromise. So, <laughs> and, and I went through a lot of dumb stuff, uh, you know, <laughs> Mark is not going to be surprised like back in the days of plus P plus nine millimeter and, and Corbon and things like that. When I was carrying a nine millimeter off duty, I actually switched from one back in the day before I knew what I knew now 
uh, I switched from one plus P plus nine millimeter load to a different plus P plus nine millimeter load because that load in the catalog had 75 feet per second more velocity. You know, that was my only criteria was, oh, that, that, you know, I was chasing velocity back then. And what I wanted, you know, what I really needed was bullet performance. So when I got into this stuff and ballistic gelatin testing and things like that, I noticed that dirty little secret of snub revolvers was that bullets that you could get to expand out of a two inch barrel, you got them fast enough were typically too light to penetrate sufficiently and get the job done. So I just quit, you know, eventually quit worrying about it and was start carrying a wad cutter or semi wad cutter bullet where I got sufficient penetration and a good clean entry hole that would carry on for the length of penetration. And I didn't worry about the bullet changing shape uh, with service ammunition. That's, you know, that, that is a criteria. Well, when we fast forward, you know, TACCON and some of my some of my post cop training things, I was doing some of these classes like snub revolver classes, and then all of a sudden concealed carry comes into play, and there's a lot of people, a lot of gun innovation and things like that. So now we have like Sig three sixty fives and and Glock forty threes, forty three Xs. Those the forty three X and the Sig three sixty five are probably right now, along with the Ruger LCP, which a lot of people badmouth, but they sell a lot of Ruger LCPs. Um, those are probably the most common concealed carry uh, things that people are buying. You know, I have a friend that works at a major Glock retailer and their number one gun is Glock 43X right now because it's a, it's a match of capacity and size and barrel length, et cetera. So knowing what I knew about snub 38s, I was curious, hey, uh, how does this work with uh, other loadings as well? So I talked to like when I talked to Doc Mitchell back in the controversial days of we tried to go to Glock 22s and the guns didn't work. And I wanted to go back to nine millimeter. And I had guys arguing with me, whoa, stopping power. And our coroner went to talk to the chief and said, you guys should be carrying nine millimeters. This is what I see in my autopsies. And he noted, which I found interesting, when he sees service pistol bullets fail, the first ones he sees that fail to mushroom is the 45 autos because lower velocity. And then the forties, like the 180 grain 40s, he sees those fail and the nine millimeters in his estimation were the most reliable as far as bullets had actually expanded, which makes sense because they got the most velocity. We can design bullets around it, but still a bullet that goes over a thousand feet per second, it is much more, it's much easier to work with and get the bullet to reliably expand. So, I started doing gel testing when I got a Glock 43 and I quickly found out some things that were outstanding service pistol loads, like the standard velocity 124 grain gold dot. You launch it out of a Glock 19, Glock 17 works really well, uh, almost as well as the plus P version. You, you really can't tell the difference. So you could just carry it. You slow it down out of a Glock 43 or interesting enough, a two inch Ruger LCP or LCR uh, nine millimeter revolver. And all of a sudden that bullet through clothing won't mushroom anymore. Uh, there's some very, very, very good bullets out there. 135 grain plus P critical duty. I'd carry that at work all day, every day. I uh, wouldn't worry about it a bit, but you put it in a compact pistol, doesn't mushroom at all. Uh, 147 grain HST. That's a very common service pistol load all over the country. Uh, I've never seen 
one of them relies. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, but they don't reliably mushroom out of the subcompacts, whereas they're a very good duty pistol load. Um, so, and even some of the, some of the specifically designed, like Federal makes a 150 grain HST short barrel load. I've never seen one of those mushroom ever. Uh, I don't know what testing they're doing to validate that, but I've never seen one work out of a compact gun. So just because you've gone to load A out of your duty size gun or your duty size pistol, when you shorten that launch tube, and that's what it is. It's like a drag. It's like a dragster. If you, if I had a half mile track and I cut it to a quarter mile or I cut it to an eighth mile, that's going to make a difference in how fast my dragster achieves, you know, what my top speed is going to be. And that's what we're talking about. So some of these compact pistols, um, when guys are arguing, well, you know, you want to go with this versus like a snub revolver. And they think, well, it's a nine millimeter or whatever, and it's got X capability. Sometimes they really don't know what they're talking about because I've had people advocate for a certain caliber and a certain bullet. And I know, well, out of that gun, that really didn't work that well. So you got to take a systems approach with this. Um, if people want to know <laughs> my like subcompact nine millimeter, if your gun feeds it, 124 grain HST. That's my go-to from all of the shooting and testing that I've done because I've never seen one fail in testing and it works real well in the police world as well. Um, but some other, some other things, maybe not so much. So when you get into really small guns, Ruger LCPs, we're back to talking about, you know, maybe something specialty like that Lehigh bullet or just sticking with full metal jacket. When I look at ammunition selection, the very first thing I look at is, is it reliable? Does it work? Does it function my gun? If it's a semi-auto has to, has to work. My analogy would be if baby Jesus stepped out of a burning bush and handed me a 32 caliber PPK, it has subpar sights, subpar double action trigger. They bite my hand every time I shoot them. And the bullets are 32 with full metal jackets, right? Because that's all they'll feed. Well, if I got handed that gun and told this gun will never choke, are you going to carry that gun? Absolutely. You know, it's subpar sights, subpar trigger, subpar wound ballistics, but the gun is always going to go bang. There's a lot to recommend that type of certainty. So I want my gun to work. The next thing I wanted to do is hit reliably to the sites so that I can place bullets where they need to go. And then, then if I have all of that, then I worry about wound ballistics and over penetration and, and things like that. That's it just, you know, that's how I pick now, because like with my Glock 43 or my 43 X or a SIG 365, I can get reliability bullets at feed bullets that shoot to the sites. Now I do worry about wound ballistics and maximizing that because I'd rather have optimal penetration, expansion, things like that. So, you know, I've done some testing. So um, it pays to know some of this stuff when you're doing like ammunition selection. Shotguns are also in their controllability. They've got to be yes. able to shoot the gun. Yes. That, the individual's got to be able to shoot the gun. Just because it performs well does not mean it's going to be a good choice for you. You've got to show you can perform with it. Yeah, I've, I've had people tell me, oh, yeah, well, you know, and this and typically it's a dude thing like, well, I can shoot this gun and maybe they're, you know, let's quantify that. 
And I tell most people, if you don't know what it is, if you haven't got a gun ammo combination, um, you should be able to do the five by five drill as, as a base. Uh, it's a five inch circle at five yards in under five seconds. And to add to that, to steal something from uh, Claude Warner, if you want consistency, do it five times in a row. If you can do all that, then you can control that gun for like a concealed carry mission. And I would tell you, like if you're in a police duty role, you definitely want to make sure, can I keep them all like uh, in a down zero zone on an IDPA target at 25 yards? Yeah. Then, you know, you're in business because the gun's shooting to where you're looking. Right. Um, but all of that, I think, comes into play before we get into, you know, how effective is Uncle Cheech's super turbo garlic dipped heat seekers, you know, uh, because, you know, I point out to people all the time, how many people in World War II were shot with jacketed hollow points? And the answer is none. Uh, as far as I know, none. So, how many, you know, there's whole graveyards of people that were shot with nine millimeter ball or whatever in, uh, in World War II. And you look at, you know, what we think about with pistol effectiveness, little uh, trivia here. What was the most common combat pistol round in uh, World War I? 32 ACP. 32 ACP. Why? Because it was a controllable pistol that worked reliably, that people could shoot straight, and the bullets penetrated enough to get the job done, even through things like overcoats and things like that. So, so if I understand you guys correctly, you're saying the 44 Magnum mountain gun is the ideal sidearm for everyone. With you got house, 44 Magnum, Jack and all the points. Absolutely. Excellent. 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 Have fun. <laughs> um, I'll throw something out too. On, uh, and we're talking about the controllability and like, and uh, being able to shoot. You know, we, we look at how we got to where we are. Europe used, uh, 32, 380s as their primary load, and they still do a lot. I mean, nine millimeter, of course, is the most universal caliber in the world. But you know, we were always the the bigger bullet fan um, in there. And then back in the uh, toward the end of the century, we went to 38 uh, in the long Colt, and the military adopted it because it was easier for people to shoot and like. And you know, we used it in the Spanish American War, and everybody you know, said, "Okay, this, you know, this is this is pretty cool." But we really don't have any documentation where a lot of people were shot with it. But we do have some now in the Philippines when we had the, uh, the our little uh, battle in the Philippines, and the thirty-eight uh, Long Colt didn't perform well. And one specific test that was our uh, example was a guy who broke out of prison, Filipino broke out of prison. And a guy came at him and hit him three times in the chest and put him down once in the arm and three times in the chest and didn't put him down. And they ended up having to put him with a rifle. Well, that was the uh, precis then for the Thompson Guard test of where they shot uh, horses and cattle and some uh, cadavers and to test and see how long it took those animals to die. And they found the most effective load was for us up. It had to be a 45 caliber. And then we ended up with the uh, 45 ACP for us in this country. And we used it, you know, for many, many years and it worked very well, but we're the only country that ever did. Nobody else really adopted it. Uh, maybe some of our allies, but nobody else really adopted it. Everybody else was using, you know, the nine millimeter. And like I said, it is the most prolific caliber out there without a question. So I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of the controllability. The five by five drill is a good one. I think for the average homeowner, um, I like to use a 
um, three yard ADIP circle and three second drill, uh, which from concealment, from whatever their concealed carry is with their duty load, not with practice load, with whatever load they think they're going to carry and use that. And that's kind of a standard that I use, although I like the five by five drill. And that's one of my personal standards I have to follow for me to do something, which I did with this uh, wand cutter test. That was one of the things that I tested was controllability. Uh, and, you know, it's not just the gun. It's in case of revolvers, it's the stock size um, and hand size and, all of those factors uh, come into play too. I can, can shoot a 642 a whole lot more effective with a set of full size uh, Hogue stops on it than I can with my little Bantams, but I can't conceal it as well. And it's not gonna be with me every day. And we're you know, talking about everyday carry. I mean, this, literally the 642 is never off my person unless I'm basically sw swimming or in bed or out of the country. Otherwise it's never off my person and I'm always carrying it. The guys who know me know that I always have it with me. So I have What do you carry when you swim, Mark? When I swim? Yeah. Uh, nothing. I'm hoping that uh, nothing's out there that's going to attack me. <laughs> okay. That's fair. So a question came up in chat. Are you seeing any difference in performance between subcompact and compact with 100% copper rounds versus lead? So we need to quantify that because some of them like the Lehigh don't mushroom, nor are they designed to. And then some like uh, a Super Bell's got a 115 grain uh, solid copper hollow point that's designed much like the Barnes uh, bullet to mushroom. And I've actually seen like that Super Bell load is very consistent. Um, some of the Barnes loads, uh, like the 380, I'm not a fan of because it grossly underpenetrates, but the nine millimeters is a pretty good load, but it's loaded so softly that it doesn't always robustly function the slide on the pistol. Um, but as far as, uh, bullets that expand, that super is a really good one that I've seen in testing work very, very well, but with like something non-expanding, like the Lehigh bullet, uh, if you drive it faster, it just penetrates a little bit more or a little bit less, but the bullet doesn't deform or do anything. So, I mean, it's uh, very, very similar, uh, regardless of barrel length. A quick question for me um, on the super valve, do they shoot the sights? That, that, 115, so that, that 115 grain nine millimeter does because uh, it's loaded within the standard, well, you know, it's a 115 grain within a standard velocity of an envelope. Of okay. plus D. Um, even their subsonic, it's about a thousand feet per second. That works real well. Um, but like their super snubby is a really fast 90 grain bullet. And that shoots like a, in the 38, that shoots way low in my experience. Any 110 grain I found, I, I it does not shoot the sights. I used to shoot the 125 grain, uh, uh, Nightclad. That was the load I carried before I carried wad cutters and uh, really started shooting into gelatin because it always expanded well in, uh, in water chunks. So I was, you know, that was the load I carried. And I found that it didn't shoot to sights real well. Uh, it shot low. Uh, on, my, on my scandium gun, uh, my titanium gun, rather, my TI, I had to grind the front sight down so much I almost went down to the, uh, to the ramp uh, to try to get it to shoot uh, point of aim. It just, it just didn't shoot where I spoke to, and I didn't like that, so. Another question, uh, in your guys' experience, are there terminal ballistic advantages in going plus P versus standard velocity 
with current duty hollow points like HST and gold dot. I think a nine millimeter and a foot. So one of the reasons I like uh, plus P and nine mil, if you look at nine millimeter pistols, what they're designed for, the vast majority of them are built actually for the nine millimeter, which we think of now as nine millimeter NATO, but that was the original specs. Like if you look at World War II ammunition, like what the uh, Canadians carried, it was a 116 grain bullet at 1400 feet per second. Nine millimeter was warm. And in America, it got watered down in target practice ammo, famously like Winchester White Box, some of the other loads I've seen barely breaking a thousand feet per second. And I think that's a liability and an economy thing. So if you think about it, if standard nine millimeter is a 124 grain at NATO velocities or 1200 feet per second or better, uh, and I water it down, I do a 115 grain, well, now I'm using less materials and I load it down a little bit, I use a little bit less powder. Now I can make, you know, a million rounds of ammo. I'm actually saving money which I can, you know, sell that and makes a profit. But also it doesn't beat the gun up as much. And back in the day when a lot of this was developed, uh, surplus guns were, were uh, like a super, super common thing. So guys were putting some of this ammo in some old guns. So it was a liability thing. They were like, yeah, we're going to tone this down a little bit. But standard nine millimeter is based around nine millimeter NATO specs. So plus P ammunition is more similar to nine millimeter NATO and bullet weight and velocity, like a 124 grain gold dot, 124 grain uh, plus P gold dot or plus P HST or a 135 grain plus P critical duty will have similar velocity and slide velocity profiles when it functions the gun to shooting nine millimeter NATO. Well, that's what the gun likes to work with. So it works at functions best. When you hold the gun, that slide has to come back all the way, kick the empty out, and then strip the next round out of the magazine to feed. So I found if your grip's compromised, you haven't lubed your gun in a while, things like that, plus P nine millimeter functions the gun more robustly. So for something like that, I think it's a good thing. Now you put plus P in something like a Glock 43, it gets really snappy. Um, I don't, I don't know. I carry standard velocity 124s and those subcompact guns because they still function the gun very robustly. Um, but that's not really built to a NATO spec. Now, if you look at plus P in a airweight 38, I don't think you're gaining anything because the bullets tend not to still don't mushroom, but then you gain, you lose controllability. But then like you asked that you had that two and a half inch K frame that uh, you held up earlier, something like a plus P gold dot out of a gun like that makes a lot of sense because now you, you have enough gun where it's controllable and the power you gain enough to where, okay, now I've got a bullet with a little bit more tactical flexibility, it'll penetrate windshields with wad cutters are real poor at that kind of thing. So um, my, my answer would be a qualified. Yes, it is. It's, it can be an advantage. Um, I'll throw out a little bit on that. The, uh, the plus P out of the 38, not only controllability wise, but you really don't gain that much velocity. Um, and it's not, you're not gaining anything for what you're losing uh, with the additional muzzle blast uh, because there's just not enough velocity there to get the thing to go in. Your powders have got to be really specific on the two inch 38. 
Um, we have the uh, problem with uh, the nine millimeters in the area that the uh, 115 grain jack hollow points sometimes would uh, blow up out of the longer barrel and not expand in, uh, in the lower uh, or shorter barrels. So again, it's a compromise. I think the plus P115 grain probably would be a benefit there over the standard velocity because you're gaining about 50 to 100 feet per second difference in velocity. Uh, but again, if you shoot it through uh, a longer barrel, like a Glock 34 or something, you may end up having that bullet blow itself up uh, and not penetrate deep enough because now you're getting up in that 1200, 1250, maybe even 1300 feet per second out of there. You throw it into a carbine because a lot of 9 carbines out there and they really become popular. I'm a very big fan of the 9 millimeter carbine. Um, that really gets the bullets to overexpand. 147s probably do better and some of the bonded bullets will do better. Uh, Stay with the bonded bullet in that line with a carbine is something I personally do. And I'm, I'm a 124 grain uh, gold dot fan plus P and that's pretty much my universal load I carry whether I'm carrying my 43 or my carrying my carbine um, that way I only have one load to worry about with it and I, I just take the plus and minuses to it um, but again I don't carry and I still carry semi-automatic enough to say that I really carry a semi-automatic I teach with them all the time and I've got them but I don't really carry them um, I'm, a, I'm a 38 guy and that's what I chose to carry my since I've been retired for 22 years I think we've pretty much covered the list of what I had. Okay. I'll throw out something on uh, ballistic testing because something that a lot of people uh, are not aware of is that besides the FBI protocol, there are other protocols out there which have a lot of validity to them. One of the ones that I like to follow and use uh, a lot in comparison is the Border Patrol's uh, testing because they, the Border Patrol, unlike any other federal agency, gets involved in gunfights literally every day. Um, I don't think there's a, probably a day goes by that there has not been a gun battle on our southern border that never makes the news. And talking to my friends with the Border Patrol, this is a routine thing for them, um, that they don't they get involved in shootings literally all the time, but they rarely make the news. Well, they shoot a lot of people more than the FBI does, and so their criteria is a little different. They take the same ballistic gelatin, but instead of doing all the sheet metal tests and the plywood tests and all that, uh, they take heavy clothing, they take windshield glass, and they take bare gelatin. Um, and they test it, and their penetration requirements are eight inches minimum, uh, with 12 inches being ideal and a maximum of 15. And if the bullets don't make in that line, then they, uh, they don't want them and they don't use them. So I think there's, like I said, we, we get locked down the FBI because there's the, you know, the, the people we, uh, quote unquote, have been invested interest in that. Uh, and I like the FBI protocol. I mean, I think the, the FBI did a big, a very good uh, benefit to law enforcement doing that study. But it isn't the end all uh, testing that, uh, you know, everybody thinks within that line of it. So it's hard, to get, it's hard to get volunteers. We actually just should be shooting people, but it's hard to get volunteers for, so. And repeat customers, it's hard to get. So what can you say? Actually, that does bring up maybe something we should cover. What exactly is, what are the protocols for calibrated ballistic gel on the FBI level? And then also discuss what people are seeing. And we, we dealt, we, we talked about it a little bit, but just to reiterate what, um, what people are seeing in these videos 
and how it's not actually what you think it is. You want to start, Chuck? Um, so again, qualifying that, one of the reasons that the, the FBI does 10, 10% uh, ordinance gelatin, which is a, a actually an organic product. You know, the, the gelatin is collagen that comes from animal sources, specifically mimics uh, pig muscle and human muscle. So we've already talked about there's a variety of tissue densities like lungs are not oranges or grapefruit. They're mostly air. Um, and then uh, other parts of the body, uh, you know, bone is obviously going to be denser, but, you know, depending on angle and things like that, there's a lot of variability there. Um, what, what Mark talked about earlier, if I have ribs and I hit them straight on, it's almost like they're not even there. I've seen knife wounds, screwdrivers go clean through ribs, no big deal. If their ribs at an angle and a bullet hits at a very shallow angle, functionally it's thicker or, and then, you know, bullets can be deflected by, you know, anything that's hard, especially since ribs are uh, flex and then meat becomes a lubricant at that, in that, you know, that case I've lost track of how many people I've seen hit in the head, uh, like in the forehead and the bullets off at an angle, the, the, the meat functions as a lubricant and it'll go in the skin and then in the tissue outside the bone all the way around. Maybe it's sitting there like a zit. Sometimes it pops out the other side, you know, no, no disability whatsoever. And then you see other cases like that Sherman talked about get hit in the teeth. Teeth are very hard. Um, that sort of thing. So, you know, when we look at that, one of the things that we're getting at a 10% ordinance gelatin is uh, consistency. So we can mimic muscle tissue and extrapolate, um, what the bullet's going to do. So what do we want to see repeatability wise? Uh, what I could tell you, one of the reasons I like 124 grain plus P gold dot so much is I've seen it over and over and over again, function very well in bad guys. So I know what it looks like in bad guys. I know what it looks like in gelatin. So when I'm looking for service pistol ammunition, I want bullets to do the same thing in gelatin that I've seen out of that loading, then I know it's gonna be a good bullet. Um, my most recent thought experiment on that has been 135 grain critical duty plus P that suddenly become popular, particularly like our highway patrol picked it here in Kansas. I tested some because people asked me to, very similar penetration and uh, other performance factors that you see with uh, plus P gold dot. So I was like, yeah, I think that's gonna be a good load. And since then, that's proven to be true because, uh, you know, what we're seeing is performance in bad guys. Um, so all, all of what we're talking about, and I know what, I know what uh, Mark's talking about, like, like the uh, Border Patrol criteria versus the FBI criteria, things like that. Um, I think there, there's some debate in there. Um, somebody asked on Facebook earlier today about the 125 grain, the, the famous 125 grain 357 Magnum. I carried that. I was issued that. But when we look at the criteria for that bullet, it doesn't really perform that well in uh, FBI spec gelatin in bare gelatin or heavy clothing. It only penetrates about 10 inches. Now, what we know is that bullet tended to work pretty good when he hit bad guys. But um, there was also some failures that I saw, but uh, penetrated about 10 inches. So if I'm carrying something that penetrates to that level, wouldn't meet the FBI criteria, 
would meet the border patrol criteria, I think I'd be okay with it. But given my preference, I would actually rather have a bullet that penetrates a little bit more than that, because I think it's going to be a more reliable um, performer in a wider variety of circumstances. And then quite frankly, there's, you know, there's dudes Sherman size out there. And, um, you know, I, I've got, <laughs> I've got friends that are like a Coke machine with a head and then, uh, you know, it's like, you're dealing with a black bear. I'd rather have a little bit more than a little bit less. Uh, that's me personally. Um, but I think an important factor that a lot of the YouTube testers don't get um, is consistency when we're talking about shooting groceries, um, you know, not to beat the guy up too much, but, you know, there's a guy that does oranges or grapefruit or watermelon. And then part of the problem is as you shoot the target, particularly watermelon, the watermelon from the first shot to the fourth shot to the fifth shot is not the same target anymore. So you got to change the criteria and what you're doing. You know, oddly enough, this is going to sound really dumb, but the guy that uh, Mark pointed out, the, the dude that shoots the packs of bologna into the water jugs, at least it's consistent. Like you're always shooting basically the same media and the same thickness and the same manner. So you get an, an apples to apples comparison. Same groceries. And you know, it's exactly the same groceries. So you get an apples to apples comparison. So, I mean, you know, could you scientifically validate that test? I think you probably could. Why? Because one of the things with scientific method is, is it repeatable? Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is. You know, I think there would be if you took some of the information we know back in the old days for a Fackler box um, and made the, the, you know, did away with the plastic jug thing. So you got a little bit more consistency because that that can change things. But it's possible to make that a consistent test. But why? You know, I mean, we, we know what works um, consistently things that 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 meet the, the testing criteria we're looking for are proving to uh work very very well on the street and i'll talk about bullets like you know my go-to 124 plus p hst 124 plus p gold dot 135 grain critical duty uh 180 grain gold dot in the 40 180 grain hst in the 40 uh 230 grain HST, a 230 grain Hydroshock, and a 45 ACP. Those work. We, we've got mountains of evidence on the street that is correlated with lab testing that though we know those are very reliable performers. So, you know, my question to pe pe people would be why are you going, if you're not going with one of those bullets or a choice like that, then have an articulable reason why. And then quite frankly, I've been talking long enough. I forgot what the original question was. Criteria, I think it was uh, for ballistic testing as far as what they do. Um, I'll, I'll address that stuff. FBI uses a uh, six test. They use bare gelatin. They use a four, uh, heavy clothing, which is four pieces of material. It's polar fleece, denim, uh, mm -hmm. cotton shirt, and flannel shirt. They use a three quarter inch piece of plywood, um, outdoor plywood. They use uh, interior wall, sheetrock wall. They use uh, laminated windshield glass at a 45 degree angle uh, with the glass, I mean, the bullets uh, or the target rudder is two feet behind it. And they use uh, sheet metal like you would find, I think it's 20 gauge. Anyway, they use sheet metal to simulate going through a car door. And so their criteria set up on that and each of the bullets to be successful has to be able to penetrate a minimum of 12 inches 
and ideally uh, out to 18 and beyond 18, they say that's okay, but they'd prefer not to have it beyond that. So that's the FBI's protocol. Um, there's, again, debates on that. Bullet designers don't design a lot of the loads around all of the uh, FBI all six protocols. Most of their bullets are designed around civilian use because civilians use a lot more bullets than what cops do, um, buy more bullets than cops do. So they base it off of the uh, bare gelatin and the four layer uh, of heavy clothing. And that's where it is. And critical defense would be a good example of that. Critical duty meets the FBI protocol on their loads. The critical defense does not, even though it's basically the same concept with, a, with that uh, uh, polymer tipped hollow point bullet underneath to uh, get it so it doesn't plug. So, and then not all those loads are the same meter. You've got the uh, 95 grain uh, in 38, you got a 110 grain non plus P and a plus 10. And Chuck and I's testing of that load out of the snubby as far as the 110 grain, even plus P's, that they don't expand. They're, they're basically a round nose bullet um, and they don't go. But that's the criteria for what they're set up on the civilian side is uh, to meet those two requirements. So if they do, then they, they can make that statement as far as uh, they make FBI protocol. Yeah, two of the six, but we don't need them because most of the time police officers have to shoot through things or the ability to shoot through things like windshield glass, like potentially a car door. Uh, so we need to go do that where most civilians are going to be hard justified shooting through a barrier uh, to get to some bad guy uh, trying to justify that, you know, a guy's inside a car and you, you can't, you know, you're trying to shoot him through the windshield as to why are you there? Um, you know, criteria with it. So you got to go you know, everything with it is uh, with a grain of salt and what the uh, performance trying to do. Also, uh, you had the other ballistic test, which was the first one, which was the uh, relatively uh, relative incapacitation index that the uh, DOJ did back in the day when they used the first commuter model. They base everything on a frontal shot. Um, and if you look at us as people, we're not 18 inches thick uh, front to back. Uh, and that's where most civilian shootings are going to occur. Maybe a few through the side, but most of them are going to be frontal attacks because that's what the reason they're shooting the people is because they're attacking them. Um, so it's it's just difference in how we've looked at things over the years uh, with it. Uh, we could make a whole show on all the ballistic testing that's been done uh, out there and various things with it. So hope that answers that question. Yeah. All those rest of those uh, tests, uh, that's next week. Um so some of the misnomers, some of the misunderstandings, there's a lot of really cool YouTube videos out of there, out, out there that have a lot of dramatization, very dramatic. You see the uh, gel tests and the gel block in slow motion. It, it explodes and all that. That's all sure. It, yeah. Okay. That happened, but that's not what the test is about. The test is figuring out, okay, what's the penetration? What's the end state of the round? not the whole drama, whatever. So if you're, if they're showing, yeah, look at this temporary cavity with pistol. Okay. That doesn't mean anything. Congratulations. You've good selling point that doesn't matter, but people that don't know better absolutely latch onto that. And think, Holy crap. Do you see that it exploded in there? I'm going to buy that. Cause I'm going to make, I'm going to make the bad guys explode. Yeah, marketing. Chuck, one other thing, uh, you can bring this up, and then we, you and I have discussed this in depth, is the difference between 10% ordnance gel and clear ballistic, which most the average person can afford to buy and test it because it's not identical, but it's a good, good comparison-wise. So you want to address that? 
Yeah. Um, what I find in, in especially small caliber, non-expanding bullets, it's really, really similar. Absolutely. With jacketed hollow points, uh, what it tends to do is um, if you'll get uh, less expansion, more penetration is what it tends to do. And uh, I believe it's not a function of it just causes the bullet to expand less, but it's fairly stiff material. So if the bullet uh, against the resistance, if people don't know, a jacketed hollow point bullet, you know, it's got that nose cavity and there's fluid that gets forced into the nose cavity and hydraulic pressure makes the bullet open up. So I believe from my, from observation of my testing over and over again, side by side with ordnance gelatin and clear gel, that it folds the, the mushroom against the shank of the bullet a little bit harder. So what you end up with is less of an expanded diameter. And if you have less of an expanded diameter, you're going to get more penetration. A lot of people think a big advantage of the jack and a hollow point is it gives you so much greater stopping power or tissue destruction. And it's very, very minor. It's really relative. But what it really does for service pistol calibers, like a, a flat point 40 caliber, because I've tested this in gelatin, will do 56 inches of penetration. You know, that, that'll shoot through a pretty good size bear. That's way too much in an urban environment, self-defense, things like that. So one of the things that a jagged hollow point does is my analogy is it's like the, the shoot on the back of a dragster during a drag race. So if that parachute doesn't open up, what happens to the dragster? You know, it goes flying through the wall at the end of the drag strip and keeps going. So a jagged hollow point gives you more of that, uh, controlled penetration with a slightly larger diameter. So you get a greater tissue crush, but it, but it's, you know, it's not that, it's not that dramatic a difference, but it does slow the bullet down uh, quite a bit, which is an advantage. So with the clear gel, my observation is, is it folds a mushroom down to a smaller diameter. So therefore you can see more penetration out of it than you would out of a 10% ordinance gel. And then when we're talking about ballistic gelatin, I'll throw out um, some of the military tests that you see, like especially NATO stuff, they're using 20% ballistic gelatin, not 10%. So again, you have to, you have to quantify that um, because that's a denser material. So it's going to give less uh, penetration because it's got more resistance to, to the bullet. Um, but I, what I, what I <laughs> to quantify my, my clear gel when I started buying that was I took a known quantity. Do I know what 124 grand plus B gold dots do in people? I do. Do I know what they do uh, in deer? Yes. Cause I've shot them. Do I know what it does in, in FBI calibrated gelatin? Yes, I do. So taking all that knowledge, what do I do with the clear gel? Um, it'll go into the clear gel through four layers of denim, expand perfectly, go all the way to the end of the block, pop out the other side and basically fall to the ground. Okay. That's 16 inches of penetration in, um, in the clear gel. Whereas typically, uh, because it mushrooms a little bit more dramatically in ordnance gel, I will see more like 14 to 15 inches of penetration so uh, it would be just short of exiting a block of 10% ballistic gelatin. But my observation is, is that it's still useful for several things. Like when I'm showing demonstrations in class, it's a apples to apples comparison. This is what we're looking for in uh, your 
ammunition, you know, the expanding jacket of hollow point ammunition. The other thing that I advocated for is quality control checks, because I've seen police departments buy duty ammo and the manufacturer screwed up. Um, Winchester's done that in the past with their Ranger T's. I love those bullets, but uh, the die that cuts that hollow point into the bullet. Sometimes they'll let the tooling get dull, then it doesn't cut as well. Uh, LAPD had a rash of shootings with Ranger T ammunition that none of the bullets were expanding, so they're penetrating like ball ammo. So if I was a, a program guy, like a range master at a department, I would have a chronograph, uh, some targets, and I would have some clear gel. And every time I got a new shipment of duty ammo in, I would take a small sample of that test fired on a target, accuracy meets spec, throw it over a chronograph, velocity meets specs, and I will put a couple of them into my clear ballistics gel and compare that to, to past experience with the ammunition we had and make sure that my ammunition meets our criteria and we don't have some quality control issues. So it's a lot easier to lug clear gel back and forth to the range and it is ordnance gel because ordnance gel, if you don't shoot it very fresh. You don't shoot it at the correct temperature. You don't mix it correctly originally, then your, your test isn't going to be valid. So you forget uh, the BB gun. Yes. You, you have to, you have to verify the penetration depth with calibrated gel. The calibration is a BB shot at a specific, specific velocity into the bare gel. And you measure the penetration depth to be sure that your gelatin is meeting your specs. So as a quick and dirty test, the clear gel is obviously much, much easier to deal with. Um, whereas when I'm going to do ordnance gel testing, that, that's something you got to set up in advance because it has to be the correct temperature and you have to get it to the range and have the block still within the correct temperature range, you know, so you may have to transport it in a cooler, et cetera, et cetera. So it's kind of a big deal to do it correctly. Been my experience um, on the clear gel and that with the non-expanding bullets the same. And I think I think our our things parallel each other as far as hollow points and and alike as far as what it does. Um, stuff penetrates a lot farther. Uh, I know we've caught stuff in the back on our test, you and I's test with the 16-inch block and the denim in behind it. And I, I'll put two blocks back to back so I don't have a barrier. And some of those loads that are caught in that six that uh, 16-inch block will still penetrate another three, four inches into the second block of the clear gel. Uh, they got enough velocity to be able to penetrate that, but yet the denim can act like a catcher's mitt um, and distribute that energy over the, catch that energy basically like a catcher's mitt does and distribute over wider areas so that doesn't penetrate. So it just, it's, it's, it's a good product for the average person who wants to dabble into uh, this where they can get it and not have to spend a great deal of money. And I think it's more valid than water jugs. Uh, even though I like, I still like shooting water jugs. They're still, they're still fun to shoot. Well, I think that was a mountain of information we have covered. And I can see the smoke coming out of Andy's ears. I got, I got too much surgery stuff in my brain. I just dumped half of it, I think. So I'm going to, I'm going to relearn it tomorrow. It'll all come back to you at 2 a.m. Don't worry. Yeah, right. That was an excellent discussion, honestly. It was uh, fantastic. I appreciate you guys taking the time to kind of share all that. 
So I'd, uh, I'd be curious actually to hear a little bit of, you know, some of the things we're talking about, especially, uh, you know, my observation and experiences with, uh, like military full metal jacket and various types of ammunitions, um, bullets at yaw, I tend to, if they, if they rely on yaw for a wounding effect, they tend to be less reliable, more inconsistent than something like a bonded bullet, jacket, hollow point, things like that. And I'm curious if Andy's been seeing, you know, if he's been seeing things in surgery overseas, uh, different kind types of wounds uh, from people, even though technically, um, you know, like AKs are shooting all very similar bullets, uh, you know, M16s, M4s are shooting very similar bullets. Uh, you know, if that variability is something that he, he's observed as well. Um, I mean, yeah, most of the bullet wounds, penetrating wounds to see I saw in combat were all obviously 7.62 for the most part. Um, so those, you know, those wounds are pretty pretty significant i've seen a number of them pass through you know through one body part into another another body part and um you know some like transmediostinal wounds and you know guys killed uh from that sort of stuff so uh they they uh there's a lot of kinetic energy i think behind those that that cause some devastating outcomes uh and death uh, a lot of the times um, but at the same time, you know, I see, even if you look at the, what we see here in the U S you know, sometimes it doesn't really matter. I think, you know, what, the often what type of bullet you use, you, if you, if you're hitting, aiming for the right spot, you're going to drop them anyhow. And so you have seen, you know, little, little tiny 22 shorts, it'll kill people. Um, but obviously, you know, you look at those, those, uh, those rifle wounds or those rifle uh, rounds, and they will tend to have, I think, the kinetic energy to kind of pass uh, through straight through. Like I think it was described much earlier in the discussion uh, that uh, that someone had mentioned that you know they're mentioned they're meant to kind of go straight through where you get the yaw with the, the more like five five six. So I, I would I tend to I think I guess I tend to agree with with that sort of with that opinion or whatever the evidence suggests. Barrel velocity or barrel uh, length, velocity, and twist also has a big effect on that, um, mm -hmm. and especially in the, in the 5.56 caliber. And also the bullet construction, like the Russian 5.54 uh, by 39, with the long nose, long length of it, and the front nose of it being hollow, even though it's a full metal jacket, as it hit, it crushes, and then it, it, it tumbles again. I think it's one of those that the wound is much more effective than the bullet would indicate that it should be and same with shooting uh if you shoot you know 885 in a 1 in 12 twist uh, bullet performance is going to suffer for accuracy but it's going to increase in the uh, yaw effect and tumbling effect once it hits because it's not stable and a lot of people don't know that the reason the uh 1 in 7 twist even exists was not for the ball round the ball round actually did very well with better performance in a 1 in 9 twist but when they put it in the long range tracer that they use, when it was 8856, I think, uh, it didn't stabilize enough. So they had to go to a one and seven twist to stabilize that bullet, which then overstabilized the uh, 885, but it's still at 3,000 feet per second. It was fine. It's when we started getting into 
the shorter barrels and the M4s and the commandos, and then having increased velocity or increased distances where you know you're talking about 100 yard, 200 yard shots that were doing those drill bit things that Chuck was talking about where bullets were just zipping through because they're not going fast enough to destabilize in the body. And this is some of the observations I've made with it. So I'm still a big fan of the 55 grain uh, M193. Uh, you know, if I had to have a ball around, that was what I would use. Um, so I don't know if you've seen any on this um, with it, Andrew, but have you seen any of the new 885A1 with that uh, uh, hardened tip on the front of it and the, um, you know, two-piece two bullet basically? Have you seen any uh, shootings for that? I know they're starting to use it, but have they had any that you know of or seen any? Uh, what was the name of it again? It's the MA5A1. It's the new um, load for the military, and it's a it looks like an arrowhead bullet. Uh, I'll call it that. The tip is, and it's exposed steel bullet with a bismuth core. It's the Army's green bullet. Uh, had a bismuth uh, to start yeah. with, and then uh, a gilding metal jacket, and then they did away with the bismuth core when they were coming apart. I don't know if you've seen anything with that or had any experience with that. Yeah, um, we used some of those. Um, I'm sure I shot a little bit of it. Um, that's a sec. You know, you, you end up seeing so many bad guys, uh, dead bad guys overseas that it's kind of hard to read. They'll kind of come a big flash of, of dead people. <laughs> so it's hard to say. Um, but, but I've, I've certainly, I've seen them around. It looks like fireworks when you hit it, hit a steel target with it. I'll bet it does. Yeah, but it does too. I've got some of it. I just haven't, I have not shot any of it and I haven't had any reason to. I may, when I get into some rifle testing, I may do some in ballistic gel to see what it does. I'm just curious how it holds together. But uh, I'll share a couple pictures in chat. Okay. Sounds good. Speaking of pictures, Andy, there's a picture that you put in chat. You don't want that in there, do you? Uh, no, I okay. can't have that up. No worries. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, that is. Yeah, not something I can share. I, I I can probably actually look for we we do take pictures of you know some of these more interesting wounds. Um, I'm sure I have some on my uh, my fifteen thousand pictures on my phone somewhere. Oh, no worries, no worries. <laughs> but to describe it to uh, everyone, um, it was a gentleman who had been shot. Uh, with the pistol in the head uh, and came to our trauma center three days later, walking and talking. And he had been putting some salve on the, on the wound because that's what uh, someone on the reservation told him to do. So um, yeah, it's, it's kind of weird that some of these people, uh, you, yeah, they get shot. You get shot with it's 22 short and it's just like, they're dead. Other people get shot straight in the head, uh, and they just come walking in three days later. It's, it's kind of hard to to kind of guess about you know what is going to do the trick. Sometimes was the slug still in him? No. So just did oh. a scalp trip. No, no, um, I'll I'll share it with you later. Okay. You can see it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, do you guys have any other stuff that we didn't cover that would fit 
this discussion. Did you, I don't know if we got online with it, uh, but did we talk about the revolver barrel length and cylinder gap? Did we discuss that here? I don't remember if we did or didn't. No, as a matter of fact, I, you hinted at it. Let's get yeah. into that. So when I was doing my, my testing, I used uh, a variety of different revolvers from uh, 107 eighths inch um, 642 to a six inch model 14 and a six inch model 10. And what I did to get that criteria, because I found over the years, because I've done a lot of chronographing over the years, um, that six inch barrel guns do not mean necessarily it's going to go a lot faster. Um, the two guns I have, two uh, 642s, they've got 2,000 different um, cylinder gap and about a 20 feet per second difference in bullet velocity consistently uh, between the two guns which if you're talking about shooting wad cutter ammunition, that the uh, velocity matters tremendously, um, can make a big difference. Uh, you shoot it through a, uh, my two and a half inch model 640, and with a larger cylinder gap, it was actually slower than my one and seven eighths inch uh, gun. And it is because the cylinder gap is wider. I think also, you're shooting a 38 special low pressure cartridge in a 357 magnum chamber. So it's probably not sealing as well, which means you're losing some gases in there. You know, if you're shooting a, a high velocity bullet, it may not matter. But when you're shooting a velocity bullet of the wad cutter line in that 650 to 700 feet per second area, it can matter a lot if you don't get the bullet performance. Uh, so longer barrels are there. Um, I think it also is, it has to do with tooling. Like Chuck was talking about with the dies, I think the 640s when they first came out um, were much better than they are now because when they first came out, I got two of them and both of them are like Swiss watches, extremely tight um, barrels uh, are cut very precisely and they have a very tight tolerance of cylinder gap versus the other one, 640 that I've got that is a lot larger, even though the barrel length is longer, it, it shoots slower than the others. And I've got my three inch 640 that actually shoots faster than my six inch model 10 uh, because of the tightness of that cylinder gap. So again, you gotta use that. Uh, then you throw in different guns uh, with different riflings and you're gonna get different velocities. Colts have a tighter barrel than uh, Smith & Wessons do, and they have a tendency to always shoot faster. I've always found experience of Colts shoot faster with the same ammo. Uh, this didn't change with uh, shooting the wad cutters. The Rugers uh, have a tendency to shoot a little faster. Uh, both of them have faster twists than the Smith & Wessons. So all these factors are in play um, for bullet performance, especially with non-expanding ammo, but I think even with expanding ammo, they're, they're, they can have an effect on it. So hope that helps that out part two. So some of that same uh, variabilities in play with other pistols too, like uh, you can see how tight the chamber, like in nine millimeter pistols, just because, you know, pistol A is a three inch barrel and then, you know, pistol B with a different brand is a three inch barrel doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get uh, identical velocities because of chamber size, the bore size, how it was rifled, you know, uh, the twist rate, polyagonal versus conventional cut rifling, things like that. So um, book velocities are nominal. And then, uh, you know, exactly what you're going to get is going to vary from brand of gun to brand of gun. And then quite frankly, from gun to gun. I'll throw out one other thing on that, Chuck. And this is one of the things I have in the one cutter test is 
uh, temperature, they see a big difference. Um, we did some of this testing back in January at Gunsight, and it was 28 degrees, and bullets were going a lot slower. And yeah. at 28 degrees, we're talking as much as 25 to 50 feet per second slower, um, and that cold weather than it did when I was shooting them at 70. So these are also another factor in that uh, you know you're shooting a load like a wad cutter velocity wise. Um, can make a big difference on when you shoot it and how you carry it. Now, if you're carrying it on your person, chances are you're still going to be body warmth and you'll be fine. Uh, but just being aware of that, if uh, if you're talking about that, let's exposed out in there. Same with the exposed to direct sunlight. Uh, it will shoot a whole lot faster than it's going to um, carry it in your pocket uh, because you're exposing it to thermal heat uh, and causing that uh air inside that case to expand faster and move faster. And it's going to change the burn rate of that powder. They're supposed to be neutral, you know, thermal neutral powders out there, but I haven't seen them yet. I've, I've heard talk about them, but truthfully, I haven't seen them yet. I think it's all going to still have an effect on it. So those are other factors that people need to consider into it. As you were talking about cylinder gap, I had to go through all the revolvers that are immediately around me. So just... Yep, all tiny. Well, tiny, tiny. You need to look at it as far as uh, actually measure it. And I, I used a uh, set of feeler gauges and measured. And uh, it's, it's important to do and know that if you've got one, again, like anything else, the looser cylinder gap, the more reliable the gun's going to be because it's not going to build up carbon and and bind and all that. The tighter the gap, you may have more velocity, but can you shoot it as long? My target revolvers, my PPC target revolvers, the cylinder gap on that's very small, but I can't shoot them like I can my 642 because they carbon up. That's why you got to have the toothbrush and all that. And we hear people talk about revolvers failing and all that. Some of that involves because of that cylinder gap um, in there and carbon buildup powder and the like, and they're not cleaning it. So good stuff. Well, I think that covered a lot so i think let's see here yeah we're a, a bit past three hours maybe yeah and that and it, it had a natural flow it was a good i i enjoyed it uh and mark you know that next one we talked about that's that's gonna be expect the same kind of flow the same kind of discussion okay yeah um so let's get some final thoughts plug everything that you ever wanted to plug and then I'll wrap it up and uh, take it from there. Mark. Okay. I'm, I'm going to throw out a, a plug for uh, a ballistic test done uh, lucky gunner um, and Chris Baker and his crew. I think they do an outstanding job on what they do with it. Um, I don't agree. I, I don't agree with everything they do, but I, I like a lot what they do. And I really like their videos and the comparison uh, when they did their testing of all the 38 through 7 ammo, one of the things that I noted was they tested the six basic uh, big six loads, but they only tested in ballistic gelatin the Winchester because it was the fastest of those loads, which is another reason why I decided to do this. this a lot of this was self-motivated because I want to know if the bullets work or not, you know, and so I, I'm doing that for that reason, but it's, uh, it's also to get out the information to everybody else. But if you want to get some good ideas on what the bullets will do, um, 
Lucky Gutter is a good resource for that, and their videos are outstanding. So I'll throw that out to them. And like I said, I like the clear ballistic gel, and those guys over there are very good to work with and uh, something in that line of it. Um, I didn't mention this. I know it just came to my head. Based on this test and based on the discussions I'm having with another friend of ours, uh, Rob Garrett, we have a uh, manufacturer, uh, one of the boutique manufacturers, who's agreed to load up defensive wad cutter ammunition designed for the lightweight guns. Uh, I'm not going to name the name of it yet, but it's going to be coming out. It's a component issue right now is the main reason why it's not out, but it's going to be coming out as a purpose-built defensive wad cutter load. Um, and if you ever want to talk about wad cutters more, I can get into the history of them and all of that. So just, you know, keep that in mind with it. So, all right, there's my thoughts. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. Let me participate, guys. Thank you. Oh, thank you. That's awesome. And more wad cutters. I, that's positive. Sherm? Is that Rob Garrett, like the the big Garrett, like 4570 bullets? No, Rob Garrett, uh, copper gun writer out of uh, Georgia. I got gotcha. you. Okay. <clears throat> well, uh, I don't have too much in closing. Uh, thanks for having me on again, Matt. Appreciate it. And it's always good to see um, Chuck and everybody. And, and um, as far as things coming up for me, um, I don't teach quite as frequently as I used to being that, you know, I teach um, every day uh, for, you know, between eight to 10 hours a day. Um, so um, not that I get burnt out teaching, but you know, there's only so many hours in a week. So, um, but I do have a class, uh, a four hour hemorrhage rest class coming up this Saturday in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, um, at on target shooting range. If you're interested in that, you can find me on my Eventbrite page. Um, and then, um, oh boy, I think the next big thing I'll be at after that will be TACCON um 2023 in uh march of 2023 um so um and like i said my website is civiliandefender.com and you can find me on instagram at the civilian defender you can be one of my 47 followers i thought it was only 38 uh, I, I got nine during okay. the course of the podcast. Well, that works. I don't, I'm not anywhere near Andy's 36.5 thousand. So he's, it's cause he eats the bomb pops probably. It's, it's exactly. Yeah. And before uh, Mark distracted me with bringing up Rob lucky gunner. Yeah. Chris is a friend of the podcast and the network and great stuff. He's a good guy. Chuck. Uh, also a fan of Lucky Gunner. Uh, no, Chris. I actually met Chris. He showed up at two of my revolver classes that I've done. The one, one I did, uh, John Murphy hosted me over in uh, Virginia. And uh, then he was at first or second revolver roundup, as me, Wayne, and Daryl uh, did in, uh, in uh, Dallas. So I always throw ammunition selection and do some some testing and things like that and proud to say i've got a little bit of input on uh what they did and how they did it as far as like you know and wad cutters uh being a good idea for a niche carry load and that sort of thing so um again i, I don't think it's because it's clear gel i don't think it's perfect and i also think 
the FBI heavy clothing versus the IWBA uh, four layer denim, that there's some issues there with robustness of bullet performance, but you know, um, it, it's real. it's a really good page and they're good. They're good. You know, Chris is a good dude. It's a good company to work with. Um, so, uh, stuff that, uh, stuff that I got coming up, uh, Mark and I, and, uh, some other guys, uh, Daryl that other people have seen on the podcast as well. We're all going to be a gun site in November for revolver roundup. So if you're interested in revolvers, uh, there's going to be a whole lot of revolver shooting, at a world famous gunsight Institute. Um, so I'm proud to be involved in that, uh, and teaching there again. Uh, if you're really into the wound ballistics thing, then I got asked by one of my mentors, doc Williams, who's famous for his tactical anatomy classes in early October. Uh, he asked me to help him teach a class at Mead hall outside of Oklahoma city in uh, Oklahoma. I think it's, uh, October 8th, but I'd have to check my calendar to be sure. And uh, so you could have Doc Williams uh, teaching his tactical anatomy instructor course. And uh, I, he's enlisted me to help out. There's going to be a mix of live fire classroom. We're going to be doing ballistics gelatin testing, talking about bullet performance, things like that. So if you get a deep interest in that, that's a, that would be a good class to make. Um, and I think there's still room in that one if uh people have an interest in that uh other than that my uh, website is uh agiletactical.com uh, agile training and consulting and uh i'm happy to say that i'm going to be really busy for the rest of the year i've got like 11 straight days in september i'm teaching in three different states which i'm still worried about how i'm going to pull that off because if i blow a tire my time my timeline is going to be kind of screwed up so i'm teaching uh, September, October, November into December this year. So uh, pretty happy with how that's going. Uh, much like Mark, post-COVID, uh, I've been playing catch up with uh, some of the demand and training, which is a lot of fun. Um, because unlike Sherman, I don't teach people to, uh, you know, do surgical stuff all day. Well, you do. It's just a different kind of surgery. With a snubby. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to be training with you in November, Chuck. That's right. Are you going to, uh, you going to gun site? No, I'll be with you in November when you're at the Glock store. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 yeah I got, a. yeah. Um, so I got like three or four different classes, but yeah, I'll be at the Glock's famous Glock store in Nashville teaching, uh, my small pistol skills and, uh, OC instructor class. Heard a rumor you're going to be in Salt Lake in April. Um, could be. Uh, With yeah, two friends. Could be. Oh yeah, near near Salt Lake. Yes. Um, yeah, me and me and Cecil and Daryl are. Uh, we thought that counter robbery class was going to be a one and done thing, and then that that has morphed into its own deal. That we've done it twice now and i think we got two and maybe three more scheduled that seems to be turning into a popular thing for the uh cecil daryl and uh chuck show for counter robbery skills awesome dr fisher um i don't teach anything because i'm a professional student at this point um but um yeah no anyone's free to ever you know, hit me up if anyone ever has any questions about, you know, pre-hospital trauma care and, of course, hemorrhage control 
and such. Um, I still publish a lot of stuff. Uh, so you can always look at my Google scholar if you're interested in any of reading any of that. A lot of stuff comes from combat, but, um, you can find me at trauma daddy, trauma underscore daddy on Instagram. Uh, I try to maintain some sort of presence there, even during, you know, working my 80, 90, hundred hour work weeks here. Uh, still try to find some time, kind of put out some decent data, um, and try to keep up on all, everything that's new when it comes to, uh, trauma care. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's been a good, good discussion. I didn't have much to add to it. Um, but I certainly learned a lot. And again, I appreciate you all sharing. Well, honestly, just that you were here and if there was something you could catch or, or add, I just like the fact that you were here. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Andy, I'm just glad that as a PGY3, you still got hair and it's a dark color and it's I, all there. Be, dude, I'm, I'm going to seriously be honest. I, when I started uh, intern year, it, I had like really a full head of hair. I have lost fucking at least 50% of my hair on top of my head since I started residency. Yeah. No joke. And yeah. my eyes have just gone to shit. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm getting, I'm getting ready to get bifocals. Yeah. It's, it's, it's no joke. It's a uh, fucking, rapid aging process. It's fucking terrible. You bring that up and I'm trying to find, where did I put my glasses? Well, yeah, th th we have a, a, like this big, huge, like hall of fame kind of thing. We call it like the hall of fame, like where there's this long hallway in the school where everybody, you know, has their graduation photo of that year, you know, like going all the way back to the fifties. And, um, People will always say like, oh, you know, Dr. House, I saw your picture there. You used to have a lot more hair and your beard used to be brown or black, you know? And I'm like, dude, like, look at me the year after that. And I, and my hair was like on a gravy train with biscuit wheels out of here. Like, I mean, there's no joke. You stay awake for 90 to a hundred hours for like years at a time and burn the candle at both ends and never have a normal sleep schedule. And, uh, mm -hmm. it, it rapidly ages you. So, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, th I think it's, I've aged more, uh, during this process than I did, uh, you know, deploying in combat eight yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Maybe cause I was happier in combat. I don't know. <laughs> At least you're honest. <laughs> yeah. oh, shit. Mm. Well, thank you to the panel awesome discussion thank you for if you were here with us live thanks for joining us thanks for some awesome questions turns out that's a patreon perk right there uh so this was live for patreon subscribers patreon subscribers got to give us some uh, questions on the fly got to incorporate them into the into the program worked out really well um Make sure you are supporting those sources that you have found to be beneficial. If you like what these guys had to say, make sure you're finding them on social media, on multiple venues, not just one. Uh, make sure you're liking their content, subscribe, you know, the whole nine yards. But also importantly, <coughs> share if, if they're providing some stuff that's beneficial to you, make sure you share it, spread the word. It helps out everyone. That applies to primary and secondary as well. Uh, let's see here, we're past three hours now. If you haven't already hit the like on this video, make sure you do so. That is when it's on YouTube, not right now, because we're live. Um, see here, big thank you to our sponsors, sponsors of the episode, Big Tech's Ordinance, 
Filster, Primary Arms, Walther, and lastly, another shout out to our Patreon subscribers. If you want to help support the network, go to patreon.com slash primary and secondary. Basically, what that does is that helps pay for this kind of stuff, pays for software, pays for hosting. Um, also covers things like we have this video shoot coming up next month. Uh, spend another couple hundred dollars on various types of ammo to use. Um, it's going to be a big event. It's going to be fun. Patreon subscribers are invited to join us. Um, I'll supply the guns and the ammo and the targets and the food. You just show up because I need people with trigger fingers that are willing to shoot a Taurus 856 until it starts to melt. That's just one gun. So we're going to be shooting. Doesn't it have plastic parts in it? I don't think, no, it's a MIM. But I thought it had some plastic internals. I, th- I feel like Caleb Giddings took one of those apart once and it had some plastic internals. Not that I know of, because I did it too. I'll, I'll, have to re- I'll have to look again, but we'll find out because I have a bunch of ammo. We're going to be shooting through this and other guns. Um, yeah, I brought out the mountain gun already. Going to be doing some comparisons of various options. It's going to be fun. I can't wait. Cool. Uh, let's see here. What else? We do have a website, primaryandsecondary.com. Um, 736 different Facebook groups, website, forum, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, uh, and all kinds of, uh, how many do we have now? 308 different episodes of, uh, modcast. And then I have other podcasts that we do too, that a couple of them might be getting revived. Have a couple episodes already planned out. We have a sequel to the survival episode which the survival one will be the next to be released uh we're going to be get that uh the next live survival one's going to be talking about clothing and and uh and cover or shelter uh we're going to be talking about the death of the gunfighter concept we're going to be talking about um what was it there was another one on the tip of my tongue but i can't remember what it is it's okay but that's all I think I'm going to turn this off so I can start editing stuff. So thanks again. We'll talk to you guys later. See you.